Hey everyone, it's Chris. This interview is something I am so proud of. I'm talking with my two aunts and my mom. Between the ages of 70 and 90, these women are. And their stories are all of our stories, and here's why. They grapple with morality. They want the best for their kids. They've disagreed with their parents, and they love them anyways. They've handled mental health issues. I've listened to this interview four or five times as I'm editing things, and I remain moved, and I'm learning new things each time I listen. I think it's going to surprise you. We talk about everything from growing up in a rigid Catholic household and how it affected sexuality to why we still want to please our parents even when we have our own kids to living with an alcoholic who was a hero of the community. We talk about doctors refusing to prescribe birth control to married women in the 70s. We talk about my aunt's nonprofit to get remote villages clean water. There's a story about a family member of mine who's a cloistered nun who has little to no contact with the outside world. It's really interesting, and I hope you can spend a little time listening. We start with the question of why I wanted to talk to them, why I wanted to talk to anybody in the context of just hearing people's stories. back up. Last summer, I went to a prenatal yoga teacher training, and it was very profoundly life-changing in that it made me realize that not all women process their stories and the transformations that they go through in life. Sometimes we just breeze through them and we're not really in our bodies. We're not really feeling all the feelings that we're having as we're going through all of the things. And so eventually, usually, those feelings come up later in life as anxiety or depression or maybe your kid's going through a phase and you're triggered by it and you're like oh my gosh I never realized that years ago I had these feelings I didn't even know I had them but now I can see my kid going through it and there's still pain in there somewhere so going through that process um, and being with all these other women sort of built on the work that I had done before after Brayden was born I went to work at a pregnancy birthing early parenting store and resource center and part of working there was just hearing women's stories because they would come in and they would say I'm trying to nurse but I can't figure it out or I'm producing too much milk and I'm hurting all the time or I want to have a vaginal birth but my doctor is telling me I have to have a C-section. 
and and all so many people would come in and the place where I was working provided a community for people to come together and share their stories so you would you could do that when you were pregnant or you could do it with your baby after the baby was born in mom baby groups so getting so much out of that experience made me want to keep hearing stories and uh so that's kind of how I started thinking about doing things like this not to mention I listen to a lot of podcasts and so I think it is as simple as just literally just getting the equipment and putting a microphone down and seeing what people want to talk about so for my mom hi mom hi Hi, Chris. <laughs> I'm engrossed in your story. Now? I'm okay. engrossed in your story, and I'm reliving Me it too, as you're telling it. I didn't know if we were on or not. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm reliving it as yeah. you're telling it. I'm, I'm, because uh, we were together. The parts of you starting this, uh, starting Happy Bambino, and starting, you know, doing all that stuff. So, thank you for reminding me of all of that. When, yes. So one of the things that. Well, first, let me just say I'm here with my mom, I'm here with my Aunt Eileen, and I'm here with my Aunt Mary Jo. And they are all strong women. Sometimes. Agreed. We will say (laughs) over 60. So we get a generational idea of where you're coming from. You don't have to share your, your ages. I share my age all the time, though. I don't care. I'm 45. We can say between 70 and 90. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> because I think there's a difference between 60 and 70. I do too. That's a big difference. And okay. And so I think that's a little, you know, that. that what is the, What's the difference? Um, I think there's a different uh, amount of energy available for certain things at when you're in your 50s and 60s and when you become 70s and 80s. Your focus becomes different. Your energy availability of energy for some things shifts, and it probably shifts all through life. It probably shifts from being a teenager to a young adult, from a young adult to middle. As your life jobs change and your focus changes, for me, my intentions change and my energy changes. So I find myself, as I'm entering my 80s, to have a different, um, look at who I am as a mom, as a grandma, um, than I did when I was in my 60s. And when you retired in your 60s, right? I retired in my 70s. Oh, okay. And are, what about you? Are you 78? Guys? I retired. 78 from a hospital of high trauma. Okay, mm-hmm. nursing. Nursing. Right? As high trauma, though, with people coming with gunshots, all that good, because the inner Detroit meant that. So you were in the emergency? And surgery, yes. And? A, at that time in my 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That sounds really stressful. It's exciting. Exciting. Mm-hmm. But maybe stressful? No? Uh, not that kind of stress, though. No. Energy stressed. So you're just good on the spot. On the spot. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Think fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Get bored if I didn't. So what happened then when you retired? The computers. Computers came into, 
in the late in my late 70s I'll say 75 all I had to do was computer computer computers to put in all the data in rather than work with my patients oh that sounds horrible terrible so you're like I'm out of here that's right <laughs> the straw hit one day and I'm gone that day and they say you can't do that oh. and we even went to HR to get out of there <laughs> no you can't do that mm-hmm. okay and what about you Ann Eileen so I was working? a teacher. I was a teacher until I was 49 in Detroit. And um, I retired for the same reasons, that it was stressful. I had too many children. They were all different languages. Two of my children died in fires, and emotionally I couldn't continue teaching. And I, I consider myself working a little bit now part-time, but it's all volunteer. It's, I have work to do that has to be done because I'm choosing to do it. That's fun. Do you want to talk about the water project that you've done? I could. Uh, Just briefly. Briefly, okay. So after I retired, my husband and I started a nonprofit to bring water to developing countries. We did it because we were in Nepal and we thought it would be small, uh, a few filters and a few villages. And then people asked us for more help and we have a very strong board. And we've now given, this was 15 years, 16 years later, Water to over 400,000 people. That's And it becomes, a, one of our board members is World Health Organization. One of them is USAID. And they're all volunteer, but they're working on the simple task to find people who need water and need the information to do a project right. So we do training and we do follow-up help so that projects work. Do you have a name for the organization? It's called A Vision for Clean Water. Do you take donations? We do. Is there a website? Yes, a visionforcleanwater.org. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds like important, rewarding. Rewarding. Work. Yeah. Not much different, though, than the work I see others do. So, you know, it happens to be my path, but we have others here that are doing other things in different ways. Well, there's... Someone just said, a friend of mine just wrote an email last night saying to me, um, a lot of people talk about starting a podcast or talk about what they want to do, but it ends there. And so it's nice to hear a lot of people talk about starting a nonprofit. What do you think it was that made you leap from talking about it to actually doing it? Because it feels like, for some people, that feels like a step. You just do it. But for other people, it's such a giant leap that they never actually get there. They never actually do what, they, what it is they want to do. Yeah. I think the beginning had, had a lot to do with the universe, the people that came in my life. So that we were in Nepal, and our decision was to give a good, the best water filter possible, which had to be researched. It had to have no electricity, no plugs, no money involved. And uh, we happened to find a friend of my son Mark's who was in Nepal and was willing to put the right filter into the orphanage. So one person there, we emailed them and said, we'll pay $50 for two filters. This is the best filter, guaranteed, researched by MIT. Can you just install it? Uh So when that happened, it was like magic in a way. Mm -hmm. They wrote us back and said, you've saved the lives of these children because we were drinking river water. Oh, my gosh. Do you know what I mean? That's like the biggest motivation. Then the letter back to us said, well, that was easy. 
that was easy. Someone then, the third thing was someone gave us $1,500 to do more. And so we then didn't know how to do that. You know, we, the ACRA left the orphanage, and we joined Rotary International, and they had Rotarians willing to help, and local Rotarians helped us. So that step-by-step step just fell into our lap, and we became experts without knowing that we were experts. Did you do like a vision board before this saying, well, this mm. is what I want to do? Or did things start happening first? No, I did. I did a vision board for me uh-huh. saying, um, now that I'm retired, I'm going to spend my time on something worthwhile. That would be the vision board. And then the, I continue to do that. I have I regularly meet with a, what we call our mastermind group. And um, that helps then all of a sudden I'm not taking a full-time job somewhere or something else would interfere with this, but I have a lot of the time How long to have this. you been meeting with that mastermind group? 25 years. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. 25 years. Yeah. Every week? Um, it, it flows, but um, once a month for sure. So I've looked for things like that, and I haven't found, I haven't found them. I mean, I've tried to create things like that, and it almost always falls apart. And so part of it, I think, is timing. And like you said, sometimes things just line up and just start flowing, mm -hmm. and then you just mm -hmm. go with the flow. Mm -hmm. But when things aren't lining up, then it feels like, well, maybe my I should be directing my energy in a different direction right now or... Um, so I'm, I'm curious about the mastermind thing. That's where you all, my understanding is you get together and you state what it is you'd like to see happen in your life. Mm -hmm. And then the other people there in the room are there to say, we see this happening for you. They, they don't say that. They repeat exactly what I say. Okay. Okay, Eileen, you want to do something different with your life that will, um, well, for me, I said I want to travel. I want to be international. I'm not going to earn any money. I want to help people, and I want to be with authentic, real people. And I don't know how that looks, but that's the, that's the step I'm taking. And then eventually all these things came into my life that gave me opportunity. And then they that back to Oh, you. and then they, yes, my mastermind partners say, Eileen, they, they didn't say, well, what about your husband <laughs> or what about your children? Mm -hmm. They said. Uh, or how are you going to do that? Yeah, where are you going to get the money? Mm-hmm. They said, I see you following uh, in your life. No, they don't say I see you. They say you are someone who has uh, energy, uh, who has international travel, finding uh. authentic work. You are doing that. And they don't say you will, that you may. It's you are. They How state did? it as if you are. As if you are. And then, by the way, I also mastermind with these sisters that we're with. So we mastermind, and we've been doing that for five years. So I need, every to, I need to get on that train, I think, because I need a mastermind group. Are you there for that? For what? The mastermind I've group. I've already tried to seek out another one, but nothing is happening. Ah. I will talk out. We would do mastermind. Have you ever heard about it? So in doing that, saying that, uh, nobody has. Uh, one girl did say she belongs to one. Well, how do I do it? Well, get on the internet and put out that you want a mastermind. I thought, no, nah, uh. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I've been not been, but, but for a few years I've been doing that, looking for ours, keeping in ours, but looking for other ones that are independently that nobody knows me. 
Yeah, and it's not happened. Okay, so you and I are in the same boat, right? In terms of trying I'm open to, find, to it, but yeah. not. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. For a few years. Hmm. So maybe hmm. we see. <laughs> maybe we see a mastermind opportunity for um, Mary Jo here with this group. Just right Just now, that experience with okay. Mary Jo g- saying, I, "I want. I." I, I am are. masterminding. I am. Uh, Here, I'll go pretend first. Pretend I'm already doing it. Okay. I am financially free. I have all the income I need. And I make a living doing what I enjoy so much. I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid. So this is, requesting this is Eileen. I see you are financially free. You are doing what you love, and you have no worries about it. And I see you every day waking up with a joy filled in your heart, knowing that today is going to be filled with you doing exactly what you get the greatest satisfaction for, that you financially are not needing in any way, shape, or form for what that looks like, and that you anticipate that's how it's going to be every single day for you. So I always jump in first and say, you are, this will be, I like, you know, you are great. Boom. And I love it. And I love it. That's you get perfect. what I'm saying? That's why mm-hmm. I jump in first all the time because these gals are wordy, you know, passing a teacher also. You and you get I'm... to the point, don't need a lot of words. Not at all. And so if you were going to do, your mastermind would be, I'm in a mastermind group that I love. Yes. These people are wonderful. Yes. And you say it as if it's already happened. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Do you want to do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) You say I can do what I want. You can do whatever you want. No. I can do it inside myself. Okay. This will happen. I know it will happen. I'm very positive. I'm always very positive. Yes. Where do you how did where did you get your positivity I from? I think from what was the one way back when I was thirty when I was going. Uh, it was Dr. Lowe, and that was a mastermind. These are all positive thoughts. Everything is positive, so you do that. You pat yourself on the back and say it will happen. It's not. It's it is positive. If something happens, you'll do deal with it. It's not a negative thought. Everything is positive. It will happen. And you got that way in your 30s? Age 30. 30s. After all the bumps in my life, which I could not cope with, it's like I got to do something, and therefore I got in the group. Oh, okay. Yes. So mm-hmm. it was like a group of mm-hmm. positivity, right. kind of. Was that called recovery? Was yes. Yes, that's what it was called, yeah. recovery. And I had recovery, a Recovery, isn't that like recovery. an addiction phrase? It might be, but back in the 50s, it was something else. It was this Dr. Lowe uh, wrote a book and created groups, uh, created an opportunity for groups to meet in a community center or in a church. Or, uh, I think most of the time we met in a church. And we had an aunt who evidently, I don't know what her trauma or what her anxieties were that caused her to, to be a participant and eventually a leader, I think, in recovery. Oh, your aunt? Yeah. Your mom's sister? Yeah, one of my mom's sister. Which one? Rachel. Oh. She's 90 now. Is that right? Or more. Yeah, um, in her 90s. And um, I remember when I was in in high school, I had my first panic attack. 
Mm. And I did not know what in the world was happening. And it wasn't something that our family was familiar with or that we talked much about. But I remember having a conversation with my mom. And she didn't really know what I meant by it, by what I was feeling. Um, She'd never had a panic attack? She never acknowledged to me that with she'd had a kids? panic attack. six kids? I would think she I had would panic be attacks. familiar with that. Uh, but, and somehow I heard about Rachel, that, you know, that she knew something about this. And Mom must have told me, because otherwise how would I have gotten connected? Anyhow, Rachel, I babysat for Rachel, some of Rachel's kids. So one of the times when I was babysitting with her, we were having a conversation, and she told me about the book, and then she told me about a group that was meeting. So never being able to say, I need this, I said, I'm going to write a paper about people who have anxiety, and I'm going to go to this group. Not about me. Not about me. It's about these people. It's about these people. And so I went to a couple of the sessions, and I read the book, and it's, uh, it's like, when I say a self-help book, I think it what it does is draw the anxiety which is nebulous and free-floating into a lot of the people that in the group had really very serious anxiety were on heavy medications uh, life-threatening body experiences where they'd end up in the emergency room a lot oh and um, it was saying to them the palpitations you are feeling are not related to your heart I am safe I am not gonna die I'm going to take a deep breath. I can't even remember all the steps. It's a training session. Do you remember the steps at all? You're trained to think differently. Yeah. That is incredible for that. What year was that? In the 50s for me. Mm -hmm. It was the 58, 59. Mm -hmm. I was 18, 19. Wow. So I I looked that up lately because it's so important to people that I know that whatever that training is, it worked and it still works in their life. So uh, it still exists, and it was called recovery.org, I think, yeah. that, huh. that you could follow if there's a local meeting for people with anxiety like that, and it gives you real tools to live. Well, this was something else, because I've had panic attacks debilitating over a long period of time that mm-hmm. affected my entire life, mm-hmm. was a huge turning point, Like mm-hmm. kind of like what you said. It's like, well... I have no choice but to make some changes about how I think about things because um, this isn't working. I'm not functioning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can't go to work. Yeah. I, I can't can, drive a car. I can't mm-hmm. drive a car. I can't leave the house. I can't go yeah, in a shopping mall. Talk I to can't. a person <laughs> in a public place. Like the list was long mm-hmm. of things that I could not do because of panic and anxiety. So medication was helpful, but it was one of those, okay, you're going to have to learn some tools. Mm -hmm. So what are Mm -hmm. they? And thank God you guys were here because you're like, just to be able to, I was speaking with a friend who had panic attacks in middle school, just to be able to talk to someone who can say, this is a thing. It has a name. You have tools available that you can use to deal with it Mm -hmm. because if you don't have someone saying something like Mm -hmm. that you do think you're losing your mind Mm -hmm. like you think you're gonna die you think you're going crazy and it's really hard to explain to people that have never had anxiety that that how convincing that is Mm -hmm. in your mind Mm -hmm. so I'm excited to hear that those resources Mine wasn't anxiety I didn't have panic panic attacks you didn't no but mine was not non-functioning because I didn't like, I mean, I just kind of non-functioned. Like okay. not to drive, not to go into work, 
not to answer the phone. So more depressed. Or kind of. uh, I don't call it that. I didn't call it that, but yeah. it was non-functioning. So I didn't yeah. call it depression because it wasn't like I wanted to kill myself or yeah, no, none of that. But it was like, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Did you ever find out? Um, like some people, like my mom, for instance, would say, I started having a lot of anxiety. I knew that it was related to my dad's death. Like there was mm-hmm. some central thing that she knew that somehow the emotions weren't processing, right? I knew it was due to my husband uh-huh. was number one and my mother was number two because she would uh-huh. call me on Sundays, what mass did you go to? Oh, checking up on you. Always. <laughs> checking up. No, no, that's her mode. It wasn't <laughs> checking up. But I had to live to her standards, which we did all our life. Oh, We did have high standards. That's why I'm a nurse, not a teacher, because oh. I wasn't going to Marygrove. Because oh. of my her, no, I was not following. I'd run away before I'd go there. Because How do I become a nurse? I, uh. She wanted you to go to Mary Grove. Oh sure. They, why did the other sisters go? This was the pattern we were stepping to. And you're like, I need to step out of the pattern. Oh, big right, right away. I wanted to go to U of D where my dad was because he was there. Yeah, my dad, and it was not allowed. Mm-hmm. Huh. Do you think that she grew up with the same kind of expectations? I think she was who she was. Yeah, I don't know if she had expectations, but that's who she was, a very strong, loving, wonderful lady, but not me. I was more like my dad. Even as you're talking about it, I'm feeling my chest get tight and like constricted with the idea of having someone with their thumb on you a little bit, like Mm -hmm. making sure you're doing things the way that they would like you to do things. I feel just talking about it I feel constricted well not like you need to do it it wasn't even I like you to do it you need Need to to do do it it. what Mm. was the consequence if you didn't I and I should say too this was a devout catholic um uh rosary every night irish mass every morning catholic angelus yeah angelus three times church every day yeah yeah the bells would ring at the church at 6 in the morning, at noon, and at 6 at night. And you stopped and you prayed. Okay. And prayed out loud. In other words, the Angelus was a particular prayer that uh, we had family, more probably in Lent, that it was every night. But I remember the rosary. Everybody was on their knees. You could not lean on a chair. You know how you lean over on a chair. If anybody came to the door, you opened the door, you said nothing, Dad would point down on your knees so whoever oh was, really or lead or, lead, or lead. someone yeah. came or to the lead. door they'd be like yeah, no, no words yeah we're in the middle of a rosary and and people kind of knew our routine if it was a boyfriend or girlfriend that was coming they knew about seven o'clock right after dinner that we would would we would uh, pray and they um the, so, and if it was the, it's a familiar person they'd come in and they'd kneel down but if it wasn't they would leave and wait till it was over and then come back but that was and sometimes with our arms out with, yeah. without leaning back why i don't know why more penance <laughs> arms more. out like just like, like, you're like a cross like, like a cross, cross. like a cross mm-hmm. yeah six kids on mm-hmm. the floor on their knees holding mm-hmm. their arms you out just did it mom mm-hmm. and dad for how long well you just say the rosary which is five decades of 10 hill marys with an hour farther in between the apostles creed at the beginning it's a routine on the rosary beads mm-hmm. I didn't know you did that. My with kids the don't arms. even know the rosary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the That's hell? That's how far no. I've carried the No, tradition. I have a rosary I know, I that know you, you, do. I know you your did. mom gave me. But to yeah, add I to know. that, 
I think the last moment of my mother, our mother's life, was the rosary. Right. Uh-huh. So when someone was sitting next to her, they started our the our father the Hail Mary. She woke up from a near coma to finish it, and it was the last. So right. it was very important to her. Very important. Almost like woven into her, her being. The fiber of who she the was. The fiber of yeah. her being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And any time you take and travel with her, you always said the rosary in the car because mm-hmm. when she when. Our dad passed away. She would go many times with me different. You always said the rosary. At least once. Not coming and going, but at least once you said the rosary mm-hmm. in the car as you were driving. And mm-hmm. she and her, her uh, our stepdad uh, recorded them saying the rosary and gave a copy to each of us in a recording. Oh, that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to hear someone's voice. It's mm-hmm. very important, though. But the other piece that it's important to her when Mary Jo was talking about not choosing Mary Grove to be a teacher she was a college graduate. Your mom. Uh-huh. And so it was a very... That uh, would what be year? early. 1939. 1931. Wow. 31. 31. So Progressive. she saw her yeah. her value maybe and what she could offer and the difference in her life. And she wanted that for us. So that film was her good intention, I think, to say you are going well to... Well intended, but still stifling. <laughs> <laughs> well, and her, one of her, uh, I can he- still hear her say, it's our job to set an example for other people. And in fact, she did that, because I get emails from high school kids now, as an adult, who will say, my mom would always say to me, if Ann can go, then you can go because yeah. we know their family is only going to be allowed to do oh. what would be. So it was like. That's uh, a lot of pressure, though, for kids yeah, growing yeah. up. And it continued on because it's me with my kids. Four kids said the same thing. The neighbors would say, whatever ah. Mary Jo, not Barney, Mary Jo said, it goes. Because she said a back. good example. <laughs> but you're not like that. Your kids are. Your kids felt but that's it, what, because but you're not. It skipped a generation somehow and landed on them thinking <laughs> the you, same way. Do you think there were any behaviors that we, or that, you know, that we uh, held as parents that we modeled, not even consciously knowing definitely, we were modeling Definitely. It? They liked us. So that, so that, that's why that was that mm-hmm. reputation in the neighborhood? Probably. You know what I'm saying? So your neighbors liked you, and so... Definitely. Had you as an example? Mm Mm-hmm. That's true in my house, too. All people, even at work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't remember feeling that way, raising my children. I don't remember that same feeling about... Mm. um, But that that was okay. It was part of it. I don't care. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other, I don't have that feeling that other people looked at me and my family as an example. One man said, I've always had you on a pedestal. I'm thinking, well, oh. that pedestal is going to fall sometime. <laughs> <laughs> don't you know me? It kind of hurt because they didn't Watch really out. know me. I'm not on a pedestal. I'm Watch human. me tumble. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and you don't send out that vibe at all of, I'm on a pedestal. <laughs> That's what I mean. Follow me. A neighbor man said that to me. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Way back. Mm-hmm. But I took a kind of, but I'm human, you know. A pedestal falls sometimes, but did I you let it go. did you ever see your mom make any big mistakes? Hmm. I don't think she thought them that they were mistakes. When I look back and know more about what we did, I I was a collaborator with her on pouring out all the liquor that my dad my dad was an alcoholic, and. Um, 
And it's of interest to me that of our six kids, not everybody knew this particular kind of behavior with mom and dad, but she and I would go and find all of the places that he would hide the liquor. He'd hide it behind the, in the cabinet, behind the, uh, where you open the two doors, there's that, that one, the frame in the middle, and he'd hide his flat gin bottle there, and he would hide the gin bottle in the uh, bathroom, half bathroom that we had on the main floor, up underneath the towels on the second floor. And about once a week, she and I would go through and we'd take the bottles and we'd empty all the liquor out. Would that work? Mm -hmm. I'm sure it worked really well. I have a question. (laughs) How come you were collaborating? I don't think I would ever have my children go with me to find bottles. That sounds kind of dysfunctional, doesn't it? It does sound. (laughs) I somebody, didn't have Somebody Elanon. was dysfunctional. No, no fault of yours. No fault of the child. But I, I would do it myself. But I would I'm not. I'm just, what I'm sharing is that when you said, did she ever do yeah, anything wrong? Yeah, there's a fault. That's oh, we right, You right. asked that question, or did you ever see her doing something that, that as a parent you might not do? And that was the thing that popped into my head was <laughs> I never thought anything about it being right or wrong or good or bad. I know I didn't like dad drinking. I didn't know what I know now is with an alcoholic, you don't pour their liquor out. That doesn't do anything to affect their <laughs> drinking. There's a new money. bottle next week anyhow. Right. You know what I'm saying? It didn't, <laughs> and do I, I don't and remember. And hiding places weren't that good. Now they <laughs> hiding them week after week after week. You know. You well, my other thing was spots. who chose who to go find them. Well, I didn't say her to go find them. I that's didn't say, I'm, hey, mom, let's go run that's around. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> so strange. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, Diane, we're going to go around today. <laughs> I mean, that's strange. Yeah. But that's what she was Have asking. Is there any thing? fault that we saw growing up in the setting? Well, we I'm just in? opening this up, Kai, because yeah. I, I wonder why, and it, it's, it would be a continued thing with yeah. you th- saying that. You know what I mean? Like, what, walking around, that's not, that's not, that's a fault, fault, I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? To So she was imperfect, and... I don't think her intention was, I think her intention was to somehow, to the best she knew how, to stop dad's drinking. Yes. And yes. to her. She's saying she didn't have to loop you in on the, on I bring you. Yeah. See, that, for that reason, nothing yeah. else. I don't know. If I she, think she was perfect myself. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, growing up, we all thought she was perfect, correct? Yeah, I mean, she did. Did. No. I think that's yeah. that we're all perfect until we start growing in our own way that we understood ourselves. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you, do you think, when you started saying, um, not sure that I want to kneel on the floor with my arms out for f- 20 yeah. minutes? At or, age 30 when sure? I went to recovery. Oh, so there you 30 go. years. I, age I 30 uh, when I had four children and a husband years. who After was children. very yeah. strong. After. Oh, gosh, that's a long time. I never thought it wasn't okay. I just thought it was what people did. That's what I mean. Yeah. Eventually, I just, you got to. You're not still doing it. I did not grow no, up. No, but I mean, at the time that we were doing it, I didn't think. I didn't like it that when he when people came to the door. I remember getting upset that if, if friends came to the door. So I just told them, "Don't ever come when we're when it's Lent or when it's Advent or when. It, don't ever come to our house yeah. after dinner." Okay. Because da- I'm embarrassed by what Dad would. I, that embarrassed me. What he would drink then? That he would make somebody kneel down. Oh, no. but was he drinking? But also that no, he, he would, I don't know. If I he would was have that embarrassed that. feeling that he was. Would he drink during the daytime or just after you were in bed? He would be hidden, so we wouldn't know, and it was all you don't of a sudden you come upon a, an yeah. embarrassing situation. But oh. some days not, some days yes. And you just don't know when it's going to happen. He was what they call a functioning alcoholic. You know, he went to work mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. He, 
you know, we lived in a home and he provided food and had lots, he had lots of friends. He was very influential in, uh, in the city so that he got a lot of people jobs. He'd go down to court and get a lot of mm-hmm. people off of what their sentence might have been because he knew the judge. Um, he was a good old boy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a good, he had, he was yes, very man. famous, made All-American in football, had a lot of notoriety as a young man. And we had a lot in our life that we would not have had because of how he was received by the community. He was beloved. I mean, they loved him. I, I get that. I think that's a confusing place to be for kids sometimes when you see a different side of the person you hold up at home than other people see mm-hmm. because it almost mm-hmm. feels like then it's a secret and mm-hmm. secrets for kids are really hard right. to make sense of because it's like this person is I love him he's the world to me but everyone else really puts him up high and I see this other side at home hmm. that makes me very uncomfortable yeah and mm-hmm. like as a kid I think that's really tricky to navigate especially if no one's talking about it Mm-hmm. And nobody talked about it. We no. didn't. And beyond that, being the oldest one, and between about almost four years of, uh, between our ages, mm-hmm. the next one were to be in. I missed all that because when we moved there, then I went on to school right after high school, and I did not get this uh, alcoholic ah. at all. I was not part of that. So, so you it, were just, mm-hmm. I'm out of here, going to college. I, I never knew that to be out of there. Like I say, I was out of there, but not. Um, mm-hmm. I knew. I, you know. I mean. I wasn't dumb to it, but still I didn't go through all the things that they are talking about. So one of the things that I reflect on, this is a little sidetrack, was sin. Ah. So I was aware that I couldn't sin, but I also was not allowed to wear makeup, and it was called barn paint. Barn paint? Barn paint. What is that? that Barn paint off. Whoa. Yeah. Even in high um, school? uh, Beyond that... um, Sex was not a topic you could talk about or share or feel feminine. Uh-huh. And I look at pictures of myself. I was dressed in boys' clothes sometimes, huh. most of the time, because that seemed to be what fit me, or that was around, I suppose. But and I, we wore a lot I of I think I was a more feminine person and a more sexual person. Uh-huh. And so it wasn't talked about it or it's the times. It wasn't like the only house that this happened in the times that we were in. Yeah. You needed to be pure you needed to make sure that you didn't get pregnant because there were big consequences to that but beyond that it was a religious thing you Mm -hmm. wouldn't commit that sin and you're you're, one time I got caught parking in the car down the street and uh steamed windows Uh uh-oh whoa Uh uh-oh and I was I was 19 (laughs) an adult (laughs) an adult (laughs) right and somebody but knocking on the, the feeling window. feeling of, no, they didn't knock, but they waited till I came home. And when I came home, that was the time for me that I turned on my mother. Uh. And I said, we would not be in the car if you allowed John to come into the house. This is the man you married. And the man I married that I had dated six years before I married. Oh, and my married gosh. And was a virgin when I married. Yeah. So I'm responsible for what I do with my own sexuality. Right. Not you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you should have allowed us in the house we wouldn't be over on prevost that makes sense i know and that maybe as a married woman i i have had counseling and times where i had to relook at what i thought 
sexuality should and would be and mm-hmm. how I could be with my children in a way different than the way I was brought up, without shame, without connecting sin, connecting to it. I just was reading something about this, uh, how um, traditionally there for women's bodies, you're either pure and wholesome or you're sexual. And um, the thing that men need to be shielded from so that their desires don't get the better of them. And there wasn't a lot of middle ground, I think, years and years ago. Now it's very different, but um, it still lingers a little bit uh, with makeup and Mm -hmm. um, revealing clothing Mm -hmm. and how much of your body is your own, how much of it belongs to the world, why do we feel shame about our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still. And... So I can't imagine barn paint. Like you just want to put on a little little mm-hmm. lip gloss or something mm-hmm. and get that barn paint off your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that There's must have been hard. Stink outside the side door where the milk chute was. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would put on uh, my lipstick. And What's uh, a milk chute? A milk chute is a chute that uh, when, they, when they used to deliver milk on a milk truck, you had a little uh, glass bottle window opening mm-hmm. where they could open it from the outside and you could open it from the inside and oh, that's okay. where your milk would end up being. So it was a milk chute and it was right next to a door. And uh, I can remember walking outside and one time putting lipstick on. I might have been in middle school. How did you get the lipstick? I got caught. Oh no. <laughs> I got caught. Dad was walking down the stairs, mm-hmm. down the front Uh-oh. stairs when I was walking down that sidewalk by mm-hmm. where the milk chute in that door was. And he called me a gypsy. Get that gypsy paint <sighs> off your face. Oh boy. And uh, I knew I was sneaking. You know what I'm saying? I mm-hmm. I I knew I was sneaking. And um, of course, I mean that's what you do though. I, I mean, know, I know. And these were pretty rigid rules it, it sounds like. Was yeah. this it sounds rigid, but ear piercing was the other thing that was uh, at the in those times it wasn't didn't happen. It, it's it became more routine and accepted as you knew more about developmental needs of kids and as um, so some know. families that I've talked to, if they grow up with a lot of rules and strict, uh, rigid expectations about um, the path that you should take or what's allowed, what's not. Sometimes then when they have their own kids, they go way on the other side of allowing so much autonomy and freedom that they're just uncomfortable Mm -hmm. setting any rules or guidelines at all. But how did you guys navigate that when you were having kids, knowing I don't want to be this rigid the way I was brought up? How did you find a, a place that felt comfortable in terms of I felt comfortable. I didn't say the rosary every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these other religious things were not. Uh, I did send them to my our kids to um, parochial schools. That's Catholic. Uh-huh. But remember Barney being a police officer. Your I mean, husband. There was no way mm-hmm. in Detroit where we lived in the last uh, street in Detroit. But I would have done parochial schools anyhow. So, I mean, I carried that through. But a lot of things I'm sure I carried on from my mom and dad. And I, it was okay. It was okay. I don't mean the rosary or the church or all that stuff, but uh, to be good people, to be good people. Mm-hmm. So you took the good. You took what you liked from yes. Treat others as you would. Yes. You know, want to be treated. Yeah. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The moral. And be honest. The moral stuff. Yeah. That be honest. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then drop some of the ritual stuff. Yeah. Just that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. How about you, Eileen? So um, I was just thinking about that. I had, I talked to my boys. I have two boys about sex and um, wearing a condom and those kinds of things. They don't remember that I said it. So, so more I, openness. More, and I was open to talking yeah. to them about sex. And uh, I have a gay son. That was a problem in our family in the beginning with my mother. And my father was gone by then. Did she know that he she was? Knew. She did. She knew, but she... She, yeah, she knew that uh, that uh, she was telling me by her silence and a little huffing that she knew she it wasn't a welcome topic, and uh, I don't think my son was close to her because of that. Sure. So he would go on a retreat or he'd have an experience someplace, but she would warn me there's a gay man that's teaching that class <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? And I say, oh, thanks for that information, but. It did not influence me, and it has been very close to my son. So none of that. Those times are gone, maybe, and and you walk your own path. Yeah. And you were able to see as you were having kids or maybe before you had kids that you didn't want the same kind of um, lack of trust to make your own decisions that you felt with esteemed windows having to hide yeah you wanted something different that's true for your that's kids true. it sounds like yeah that's and, right hmm. I'm, I'm trying to search for for more but i i realized that um i wasn't perfect i think your mother helped me huh. so um i'm a younger sister and mm-hmm. so my older sister it was, it was chrissy's mom um she seemed to be able to talk to her girls in a way that I didn't have any experience with. So I had to look for people who I thought were healthier uh-huh. um, rather than a con- condemning way or a s- not, don't tell anybody that my son is gay or oh. whatever that might be in that experience, but also anytime talking about sex. And then, and then I joined PFLAG and other things to find other healthy people, but I thought where I'd find people who gave me the language that I didn't have growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my siblings said to me, you taught me, uh, who, who's still a little bit more different in, than I feel, you know, about things. And you taught me uh, how to love somebody who doesn't follow my rules or something oh, like that. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. that's a nice compliment. But yes. When you don't have a role model like that, you think, these are the rules. This person might go to hell. Can I participate in loving them when I think they might, if that, that was the rule when I was growing up, you know, that nobody could, the bigger thing is that you get to heaven uh, than anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah, and what you're saying is it turns out radical compassion for anyone, no matter what they believe or how they live, is more important than getting to heaven based on the Catholic model. Wow. <laughs> I can't, it, it, that encapsulated everything, I yes. think. Yes, that's encapsulated. Oh, it's the word radical. Repeat that. Radical what now? Compassion. Compassion. Mm-hmm. Sure. Any compassion. Mm-hmm. That's maybe how I feel that. Reaching out anytime I see someone borderline or on the fringe is, impo- is more important to me than rules and things that can happen to people. And I'm more and more aware of that. Well, that yeah, that's life-changing to be embraced. And that, in a way, is m- more my faith than some rule. Ah. You know, so 
That's beautiful. I feel that too. I mean, more and more. The more I practice it, the more I see how it affects people and really changes lives, mm-hmm. honestly. Partly to notice notice who is on the fringe and who might need just a little bit. And that is that happened this week in a conversation with friends, but it's before that. We've seen the poor in Nepal and other places in the uh, world and seeing they can't step over can't step over or say that's too bad that country's so poor or this person doesn't read or whatever it is that comes into my life talking we almost missed getting here on time because we got into another <laughs> conversation so I had to set my alarm so the alarm would go off to say 15 minutes because it was uh, we've had a couple of I'll engrossed. be ready in five minutes <laughs> 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 uh, and I think uh, the topic as it was the uh, the focus of the of the population we were talking about were kids in school and that the um the kids who don't fit into the box for the myriad of reasons that they may not, um, whether they are or not looked at as individual kids moving at their own pace, doing what they need to do to feel valued and whole and smart and participating and um, what that looks like now for our kids, our grandkids, um, their friends, and so on. So we were having that conversation a little bit this morning. Interesting. That sounds interesting. Yeah, another well, topic. We were maybe. talking about some very favorite and special people, all of whom you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and people in each of our families. Mm-hmm. So it's not. We a, were trying to trace in our thing. families which what are the some of the commonalities that we we have that we see in our children and our grandchildren. Oh, uh, did you find any? I, I th- think we got. We saw, I think your thing your alarm went off at that time. <laughs> Time to go to Chrissy's. (laughs) I think we did find a couple. Anxiety was one. Uh, (laughs) I thought you were going to be like, intelligence? No. 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 Good problem solvers. Empathic. Challenges. Caring. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things we were talking about, Mom, and we were talking about Dad, one of the, the... Gifts I feel we all have is the sense that regardless of um, regardless of the incidences we remember growing up, mm-hmm. I always felt that I was deeply loved. Definitely, I always felt They're that I had a house. All the time. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I had food. Mm-hmm. I never was frightened about not being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Big time. And. Um, so I think when I look back now on uh, living with an alcoholic dad or living with a mom who had very high standards for herself and for other people, and whether it influenced me or not, that doesn't feel heavy to me. Not at all. Because mm-hmm. I, never, I never didn't feel safe in that house. 
very proud of being in that family. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know how our brothers feel. Hmm. We should have a we conversation have with them. It would make a great com great podcast, Chris, if you were to gather the three men in our family, your uncles. And go through mm -hmm. the same things. Ah. And have that the same conversation. Because we do this in Florida when we're all together in Florida, and we talk about yeah. it, and we'll say, we grew up in six different households. Yeah. We grew up with six different impressions and influences of our mom and dad. Uh-huh. Even though, and some of us didn't live together that often. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were in nursing school. You went in at 18. And how old was At 17, I went in and I came Until 21, and then you got married. Already at 20, 21 married and gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Jerry I was only was seven then. Yeah. Well, Eileen was only when I, I was, was seven. When Eileen was 11 years old when I was married at 21. Okay. Mm -hmm. so married at 21. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 23. 23. Married at 28. Ooh, Ooh, old lady. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and a virgin. Oh, God. I still <laughs> held on to oh that. I still we all held. were virgins. Come on. <laughs> that was, that's that not, was our name for frame. That, that is was, not shocking, hearing how <laughs> rigid your upbringing was. And, that like, was, you, you was, thought you would go to hell if you I had did. sex. Yes, I thought I mean, I let's be honest. There was a funny story. <laughs> well, I thought our parents would disown us if we did. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. That that was, was, I wasn't going to go to hell. Oh, but no. One like, I don't I care mean, about hell. I just want to not be kicked out of this family. A funny story that Tom and I were traveling from Chicago where I was independent, living independently, 27 years old, 28, 27, living in Chicago, had a job. We were driving home to Detroit. It was either for, it must have been for Christmas, but also to talk about our wedding, which was coming up in June. We encountered, a, I remember having the ukulele or guitar in the front seat, and I'm, I'm playing, uh, you know, I don't know how to play, but I was mm -hmm. playing. And we had to, we couldn't travel. They closed the roads because of the snow. Talk about going into a panic attack, that I was going to have to stay at a motel with this man that I was going to marry. Oh. Wow. But have to tell mom and dad. Oh. <laughs> I can still see the snow. I can still see it. And I kept saying, no, no, they can't close the road. <laughs> we have to drive through. And, you know, Daddy's going, we can't drive through. There's no, you know. He didn't, it didn't register for him in the same way of his, yeah. you know, being parented. That, I mean, I, I really, it was very traumatic for me, mm -hmm. that incident. I don't even know how it was resolved. I don't know. Because of your reputation. You'd have lost your reputation. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't remember if I stayed in a motel or we drove straight through, to be honest with you. I don't remember the outcome. I just remember the flood of anxiety of, oh, my God, this can't be happening to me. Oh. So it, it had to do with reputation. It had to do with expectation. Um, purity purity mm -hmm. purity absolutely absolutely your own personal goals maybe even mm. the perception of having mm -hmm. intimate relations would stain you absolutely mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's not healthy it is not healthy <laughs> that's what i but we all have not them. healthy and, as you see, we all and we're still know, here I know. <laughs> and you're still here and we all are parents and you <laughs> raised your kids differently mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. we, we were in a different kids. age then so mm -hmm. that First of all, when I first married, we didn't have birth control. 
Oh, right. My mother did not. Oh, gosh. I had an opportunity to get birth control the weekend of our wedding. I called my doctor and said, could I have a prescription? Because I don't want to have children right away. Wow, good for you. And my doctor said, no. What? He said, I um, don't believe in birth control, (gasps) and I am not going to give you that prescription oh so and and so i I think i had a little bit of time because then i had a second doctor who said sure i don't want you to get pregnant or you know it's your body your choice and i even had the priest tell me i was okay i had a conversation with the priest at the time (laughs) she found the priest that would say that to her i am lucky it was the one priest that married married me the one in america that did the wedding ceremony who was that Father Chisholm, and he was the priest that married Virginia. But then, by the second, by the time I found that, I realized that I uh, did not have it in place for seven days or some amount of time. So I then could not have sex on my wedding night oh. if I thought that I was going to get pregnant. Or do you know what I mean? It became yeah. part oh, of the, the week thing. before conversation. Yeah. And just part of the story, like, do we want to get pregnant? Do we know? Do we know the, how fast we can get this pill to work or <laughs> whatever? Yeah. It was just part of the yeah. story. And you guys had been together for a while, so you were already close and communicating. And, I mean, it sounds yeah. like you were just best friends for forever. That's, That's really true. So you could talk to him about it. And it was also his choice not to have sex. Yeah. So he would not want me not to be pure. Wow. <laughs> That's really true. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. I don't know. What, honestly, I don't know what to say about the doctor who wouldn't give yeah. you birth control. In those ages, they didn't. They were very strong. You know what I mean? It's not It like wasn't now. even before. You wanted it for after you were married. 1968. Oh, like For after I was married. And how many babies? Okay, so you have four. You had to have been using birth control. You only have two. You have two kids. I have two. And you have four. Mary Jo has six, uh, four. Did you ever have the conversation about or were you interested in birth control with with uh, it, your husband? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Yes and no. Uh, he did not want any more children. Actually, I don't think he wanted one even. Yeah. But um, uh, he just made sure that it was at the proper time okay. not to be pregnant. Okay. Okay. It was really so crazy. that was yeah okay. I I went when I again was twenty seven twenty eight to the priest in Chicago and I said I was marrying a man who did not believe in birth control. Um and uh, what? My did, dad? Yeah, he didn't. He did. He, what do you mean he didn't? Be, he doesn't believe. He didn't believe in anything. I know. He's like I an know, atheist. <laughs> How does he not he believe he in birth control? A lot of no, he didn't believe that we had to practice birth control. Is what I'm saying. He did not believe. Like denying science? I don't get it. He wanted you to have lots of children? Uh, start he from, believed start from the he believed that I should take birth control pills. Oh, there he yes. is. That's what I remember. Okay. I okay. thought you meant he doesn't believe in birth control. No, no. He he believes that birth control should be for everybody. Okay. okay? I grew up, birth control was a sin. You oh, don't right. do birth control. Mm-hmm. I'm getting married. So I say to the priest... I'm marrying this man. He he believes that that birth control is fine. I've been raised in the Catholic Church, and you know what the Catholic Church is uh, was like. I'm saying to him across the table, 
And he said, uh, and I said, so I'm really conflicted because I kind of agree with him. I feel we should have the right to choose when we have children and, and whether we have children or that. And he said, it's really your decision. He did? He did. And I said, pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> You're conscious. You're conscious. You're, I'm here That's for a, you to say yes or no. Yeah. Don't wow. give it back to me. I stood up. How dare you? What? How dare you? Anger. 20 Eight years, <laughs> and I'm you now. <laughs> and you are telling me it's my decision. It's never been my decision. It's always been your decision. I'm. I did exactly that. I came to you to tell me yes or no. I was livid. I was absolutely livid. Oh my gosh! And Isn't that strange? Because she got I the right answer, and she's li- livid. Well, I, I was livid at myself for having allowed myself for that many years to rely oh on somebody else yeah. to make yeah. my moral choices. Yeah. yeah. And that was when the light bulb went on for me, was that meeting with that priest. I thank him very often. Don't remember his name, but I thank him very often. So I went on birth control. And then I went home and met with a priest to marry us. And uh-uh. Tom and I walk in. And Tom happened to have stepped on some dog poop <laughs> as we're walking in. And I'm seeing him go like this, like, what, where am I supposed to put my foot? Uh-huh. This is like a day before we're getting married. So the priest talks to you about having kids and not having kids, and Dad's sitting with one leg up over the other the, with the foot close yeah. to the table, kind of. So he said, uh, so you're not going to practice birth control, right? You're going uh-huh. to, you know. And I said, well, actually, I'm on, I am on the pill, well, but I'm on the pill to regulate my period. Oh. Oh, oh he said, I'm glad because it works differently <laughs> if you're on the pill to regulate your sure period. Sure, it does. Then it does if you're doing it great to prevent Great job, priest. Yeah, and great dad, job. And dad is ready your dad, to wipe right? off the bottom of his foot on the priest's <laughs> oh. And so I'm sitting with him, and I'm going like this because I see the foot going closer mm-hmm. and closer. He's going right mm-hmm. to... Oops. Oops. <laughs> Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops. That's so funny. So we walked uh-huh. out. You know, we walked out of that. And I, he, the, the priest that married us was not. Uh, he was not a kind person. Why did you? Uh, go he with, was why very did you judgmental. Family friend. Uh. He would not let our our best man be on the altar because he was Jewish. Oh my mm. gosh. Um, wow. There were a lot of things about that that I wish I think. He recorded the wedding. He was so he did not like Tom at all. He didn't mm-hmm. like that I was marrying an agnostic, non-practicing Catholic, baptized Catholic, but not practicing Catholic. Um, Why did he record the wedding? He said he I recorded he was it. recording the wedding because he was so angry he was going to come, come back and he's going to. I told you so. Mm-hmm. Oh. I told you so. You know that was my that was the sense I had when I walked wow. out after the wedding was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah. It was not. Uh, we're all lessons learned, you know. During lessons. those years, we're talking 68 for me, 1968, uh, Vatican II came in, and it made a difference before or after for the Catholic Church because conscience became part of that Vatican II, personal conscience. When you How make the, a sin. Yeah, go ahead. Have a sin. I don't know anything about it. Okay, so like before that, uh, the rules were in the catechism, and the priest told you what was right or wrong, uh-huh. and then at some point the bishops... Uh, 
of the Catholic Church met and said, we're doing some changes, and one of the changes is a sin becomes personal conscience that you, and then uh, that became a problem for some people because they don't want that, that thought that there's somebody could murder somebody and think that they were doing it with a personal conscience. But ah. that opened all the doors for me so that I can do what I feel is a sin or not a sin. Was it that? <laughs> was it the church saying, it's okay for you to use your personal conscience that gave you permission to use your personal conscience? Absolutely. So you wouldn't have done it if they hadn't said, go ahead, do I may it? have left the church. Yeah. But at the time, ah, and the time with Anna, so some of the priests were, we'd call them liberal maybe, following Vatican II, saying all of a sudden you can now follow your conscience. And then other priests say that, and doctors, that they go by, this was the rule, and the rule is you practice rhythm for the rest of your life or yeah. whatever it is that they had in mind. So you had been married 12 years by that time because you were married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 57. Yeah. D- do you, do you, did it have any effect no, on I you? No, I never even remember what that, no. Okay. I lived for my life. I lived. No, it didn't It has to do with nothing. when you were trained in school. Well, no. I'm just, I'm really surprised that they gave you that freedom to say, to even say that, oh, personal conscience, sure, uh-huh. go ahead and use it, because up to that point, it informed, seems Informed, like but they always said that, too, informed personal conscience. <laughs> <laughs> informed is, remember what our what rules, the rules are. are. <laughs> that yeah. If you get divorced, informed. you cannot receive communion. If oh. you don't get an annulment, you cannot get remarried in the Catholic yeah. Church, but if it's, it's your choice... Unless you mm. have ten men who've never been married and pay a lot of money to them, the money came. Then they'll the say end. you've never been married. <laughs> they'll know it, and then you can get married. Anyway. Even with your ten kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I do so see that in my friends. That's in. I happen to be in a Catholic university, so I had to have theology at the right time to study all of this, and I know, you know, it just opened the door for me. Like not just this, but making uh, non-Catholics more welcome. Uh, so you can go to a non-Catholic church that before that you couldn't go or be married. and You know, things that were old rules were just opened up at that time. Can you guys tell me about the relative that we have who is cloistered? Mm-hmm. And give me her story, the Sister nun. Maria? Yeah, Lena. What about her? Like, just a question. So some people may not know that this even exists. How she's living? Can you start from? Go ahead, Arlene. Okay. So, um, Lena's my cousin, uh, our cousin, but my age. So I grew up playing with her, and uh, maybe she's three years younger than me. And she chose to join a convent. Um, I think it was a Dominican convent she chose, and that was a very fairly liberal that let her have home visits and let her do a lot of social work in the neighborhood, and. Uh, was that after high school, do you know? Pretty much. Okay. Um, Linda's a normal kid, and uh, she was able to work. I think at some point she took a job, but she chose to be a nun. Then she came home from that convent and said that was not the convent for her. So she chose, the second choice then was to become a cloister nun. So she is now in the cloister convent. And can Four you Claire's. say what it's that is? It's called Clares. It's in For her, it's in Cleveland. Somebody else can say. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, we uh, cloister means that you, you are together with a group and you do not have exposure, in her instance, to the outside world. So if they have volunteers that come in and do the shopping and they have volunteers who come in and do anything that they would be involved with the outside world. I'm still a little confused about how she gets to the dentist or the doctor because it feels to me like she needs to get in a car and go to someplace outside. But pretty much they're a very routine in job and prayer throughout the day. We visited her last spring, and she was uh, smiling a lot. Uh, seemed to be a very bright woman. Her job right now is cooking, so she talked a little bit about what her routine was for cooking. Um, so she can she, have visitors. She can have visitors. Theoretically, you're not supposed to touch. She has a, a wire um, wrought iron f uh, fence between where she sits. But Mary Jo was uh, gracious mm -hmm. enough to give her a hand hug oh. through the through and so that created a, an ease for the rest of us to offer our fingers through the rod iron and she she touched us also so that was we didn't think that was going to happen because we really thought she could not hug do she they could, touch each other inside where she is or has she gone untouched i don't know that years. we didn't ask yeah. if they hugged each other she's silent during her day except for one or two hours in the afternoon in the afternoon she has no choice of what food comes because it's delivered so she, as a cook she finds it challenging to to cook with mostly vegetarian i think and um, they have a couple gluten-free she's been there 50 years i think silent except maybe for not a couple all that hours. time yeah. i've been married 50 years but f say uh 40 years but she yeah it, long time we know the convent does not allow everyone so when we went to her to the time when she took her vows she wore a white gown and we have you know, once a year. She can only have a visitor once or twice a year. Oh. And so uh, at that time, someone was with me who said that she tried to get in to the Port Clares, but they wouldn't let her in. So they are not, they're discriminating. This friend that you were with said that? No, someone I met there. Okay. So she just told me from her point of view, she really, really wanted to be a Port Clare, and she's going to keep trying. <laughs> but they told her huh. no. Why? Well, two questions. Why did this person want to get in so badly? What's the appeal? And then um, with the limiting of contact with the outside world, uh, can she read magazines? Or you said she can correspond with letters but not with phone calls? She writes to our brother, and he responds back. I think he writes to her more than she get, he gets back maybe three or four letters a year or two or three letters a year, but he writes to her almost every month, if not more than that, letting him letting her know about the, our families and who we are and what we are, sending pictures. Whenever there's any, anything that we feel that there needs to be ascended prayers, maybe she's closer to God, so we invite her to pray with us for our <laughs> mastermind, for somebody to be healed or for somebody to be uh, work, you know, move through a tough time in life. Uh, she did say that they get the paper every day, but it's a paper that's previewed first by the headmistress, who cuts out any any articles that are like violent or so. I don't know political. I don't know if they cut those out too, but they get the paper with ho like holes in it from articles that somebody else has censored that that mm -hmm. they don't feel will help them continue to be blessed and. Uh, prayer-like, and not have to worry about what's going on in the outside world. She uh, knew about the earthquake in Nepal. She knew that I visited there from Tom's letters, you know, different, yeah. different times. Do they read her letters? 
do, does, does she get does to, the headmistress someone read reads the it first someone before else they give reads it, it to give it to her? They have a book stand outside their church, and the book stand says, please don't leave any books here because we do not want outside books. Uh. So their mission is to pray. The, the priest seems to be the only outside person, so what the priest says daily in their mass is the sermon that they hear. And now what they like now is the rotating priest, so it's not just one priest, but maybe four different opinions will come their way on, on what's happening in the outside world. She does have a computer, but I think it's limited. She can find recipes on it, and um, but I don't know if it's like some of the uh, computers that they might have in a school where they block certain places that you might go to explore. I am just trying mm -hmm. to understand how you would make a decision to be in a place like that. That feels like you're just checking out of the world. I understand mm -hmm. the idea of being closer to God. I understand that, but it feels like you're giving away so many rights and so many pleasures of connection between people. Like, this is a human condition. Me we too. we have to be with each other. We have to touch. We have to share stories. Remember, and she went in first and then came back out because it wasn't working for her. So she knew the worldly things were not hers. Huh? She tried it and then came like out and it mm -hmm. wasn't and then she needed it for her own self i think we're all feeling the same way because we're more worldly to yeah. be outside and thinking Our so i think that's a special thing for her because she is beamingly happy she's mm -hmm. happy beautifully happy very intelligent very nice very outgoing very ask proper questions she's not in there to hide away from the world at all very curious open uh, very, very happy to celebrate it's with you. it's wonderful being with her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huh. She we walked away. We went, to, you know, Mary Jo and I went together. Eileen had gone to previous to that time, but we walked away. I walked away, surprised at how uplifting, definitely she was. She didn't feel sorry for her. There's a lot of curiosity. I have a lot of curiosity, but there was no sadness about. Oh my poor thing. She's she yeah. doesn't know what she's, she's missing hiding from the world. Now. Have not. you ever been? In the presence of someone that feels like they are radiating divine grace, like it's a mm -hmm. vibration coming off of them. I, I have, have. I have to. And I'm wondering if she had that no. vibration. For I me, I saw, no. what I saw for her is contentment. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I don't see that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, are people reaching for more or trying harder? I don't see that in her. What she really liked was the structure. She said, what I think makes me feel so good is that every day at 2 o'clock we get up and say a prayer, and then at 4 o'clock in the morning I start the breakfast, and the nuns love what I serve them, but every day I know I will do that at that time, and we will say our prayers, and then we will be silent. And, and uh, those things I don't want more because there isn't more. And the structure causes her to take a deep take breath, a deep breath yeah. but also not want more. Huh. Mm -hmm. And she's had bumps in the road. Her mother was alive, sickly, and she was addressed to that problem by an, her, an aunt who wrote her a letter, plus called, I know Ooh. that, called the superior to tell her she needs to come home and take care of her aunt for her mother. Oh. And that was very negative. And like she addressed it by saying, they have to know I am married to God through my religion, just like a husband and a wife would be. I'm staying 
here because I'm married to God and like a husband and wife. And I know that personally because that person told me what she did. And uh, she talked the head superior of the nunnery Uh and to have her come home and be with her mother. And she didn't go? No, she didn't come to the funeral. You don't go to the funeral. You don't do anything. No funerals. Nothing. Not sickness, nothing. Mm Mm-mm. That's But she handled it very well. She was already, you know, "Mm -hmm, this is where I need to be. And she knows she prays about it. There was anger. There was some anger, I felt, when I read the letter in which she shared that story um, about being told by somebody else how how to practice who I am and my religion, Mm -hmm. that somebody else was making a judgment. Who had the anger? I'm not clear here. Lena, uh, Sister Sister Maria, Maria. had, had anger that somebody else was imposing on her a judgment Mm -hmm. for the choice Mm -hmm. she was making, and she was confident that the choice she was making was the right choice for her. Mm -hmm. And... um, and I was happy to see that. You know, oh, yeah. It, was, it, no, was, it should um, be that. Right. Mm-hmm. should be that. And, um, you know, we, we kind of brainstormed back and forth. Do you think, you know, as a kid growing up, do you think that something, that who she was as a, as a person somehow never got organized and fed back to her in a positive way when she was in the world before she mm-hmm. left, you know, before she went into the country. Yeah, to make such an extreme choice. Right. Do you think somewhere in the parenting that other people might not be aware of, that there's something else go on at home that we didn't, you know, that we don't know about, or that, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what was it that would make her um, move into... Um, that yeah. type of extreme. Yeah, you need to also mm-hmm. know. Mom wanted Mary Jo Eileen and I to be a nun. Mm-hmm. She did. Yeah. Mom wanted to be a nun. <laughs> mm-hmm. what? Well, every day, yeah. every day, you go to bed, and she would call up the stairs. God bless. Please have one of my children be a nun or a priest. <laughs> she would every say day. That? Oh, okay, mom. <laughs> Dear yeah. God. But we never well, one internalize of my daughters, Please yeah. become a nun. Oh no! Every That's time true. she'd call up, but we didn't internalize it. It was like, okay, mom. <laughs> and, and they put you're going to the bathroom. There's a little note saying, not a note, a holy card. Do you have a vocation? Yeah. And so then you just you can't throw it away. You just got. Wait, wait, wait. Where? What? There's a card There's in a the bathroom. A little card in the bathroom or a booklet. Do, uh, do you, have, do a you have a vocation? So she would God is calling you. God is calling you. Little things post-it around notes. the you house. Post-it notes for affirmations. <laughs> We'd get little post-it notes on. Yeah. Uh, she did share with me that when she was young, she went into Monsignor and told him that she wanted to be a nun. Who is Monsignor? He is the head of the pastor. He's like below a bishop. Mm-hmm. Cook. Yeah. Monsignor Cook. The, the Monsignor biggest guy Cook. in a parish. Big, okay. you know, big honcho in, the, in, in that parish. Okay. It was a big, well-known, respected parish that we were, a Catholic parish that we lived a block away from. But she did go and talk to him about wanting to be a nun in confession. Mm. And he said, no, Josephine. And I'm think- I said to her, but this was confession. It was supposed to be private. He's not yeah. supposed to be yeah. knowing who you are. No young lady. No young mm-hmm. lady. Yeah. Uh, you are meant to be a mom and be out in the world. Oh, and he just made Here that decision are. for her? She, I think, told all of us that. Because <laughs> she told me uh, yeah, also, I know and I'm sure Eileen, she's told the same people. You know what I mean? She told all of us that. Mom did. Mm-hmm. Was it her decision? Did she already know that that was what she wanted? Well, I don't think she bucked him. I think she thought, well, let's go. You know what I mean? I like if know. that one priest would have said... Uh, 
I go to the nunnery. She, she would probably go to the nunnery. She felt wow. that strong. And why would she ask otherwise? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So one person, one sentence in her life changed. Well, the one whole sentence trajectory. in everybody's life. <laughs> <laughs> As we talk, yeah. one sentence That's in everybody's so much life. Power. Can I go into a problem I'm having in my family? Yeah. About our family? Of course. Mm-hmm. As we talked in the car, my kids don't come to Camp Dearborn. They feel very judged by our family for the high standards. They never, they love grandma, but they felt that uh, they were standards that were very high and uh, not accepted as you are as a person. I'm just going to say talked about real that. quick, Camp Dearborn is a family camp that we go to every year. All of the side of the family, all the cousins, all the aunts, all the uncles go to just so that anyone listening understands what that is. Mm-hmm. It's a week long. We all hang out together. It's usually fun casual. and casual. Michigan. Yeah. 50 some years. In Michigan for over 50 years, yes. So your kids don't want to come because they still feel they that. They haven't come since they were young. They were young to go as a family, but once they grew up on their own, it, they hesitated, and now they don't even come. Huh. What do you think that's about? Because the the uh, family that is there has, I feel, and it has brought to my attention by them, that they judge them. They huh. look at what they did or not did, uh, and they don't feel comfortable being there with them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Every person? No, I, not I, every person. I'm not judgy. Not every person. <laughs> not every person, but there are certain ones that are strong enough they won't even tackle it to do it. Not worth it. To uh, giving you an example, one of my brothers, Tom, had a birthday party for his 85th, and I gave them the invitation that was sent to us, that not to them, and which they were okay with. Uh, and I sent to each one of them. It was an open house, come and go, and that was it. I did not put anything on them that they had to go to this house type of thing or anything. But in my mind, I'm thinking very strongly. They didn't say it. Yeah. It was just sent to them in the mail who I hadn't seen. So they put it on the refrigerator or whatever. But what I did was, uh, in my mind, I thought, don't come to the funeral. Come to this. Uh-huh. In my mind, yeah. I don't need you at a funeral. I need you for this. That was my mind, not saying anything. You didn't say it out oh, loud. No, 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 no. They all came. Oh. Afterwards, nice. they were addressed to me by my kids. You know why we came. And I said, I know why you're here. It's because of me. Aw. Because of me. They would not have been there. That's Mm-mm. one Even that's to really the nice. nieces and nephews who had were far from Grand Rapids, Paul came in, wow. who was the, my grandson, mm-hmm. came in from Grand Rapids so that he would make it before the time, and he, he arrived too mm-hmm. for so me. So they were able to for me. set their discomfort aside and show up I don't for know you. that they put their discomfort aside. <laughs> well, enough to get there. Enough where it's like the goal was me. Yeah. To make me happy. How did it make you feel? Uh, happy. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. I don't ask them for anything else. There's not anything else in life that I've asked them to be at weddings or whatever, funerals or anything. That's their life of what they want to do. I don't ask them. How do you think they knew that it was so important to you if you didn't tell them? Uh, they know me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know me because I don't. To send that invitation around. Ah. Uh, yeah. You don't need to say it out loud. No, they got I am the sure invite. I said it out loud, like they're going to have something, but I mean sending the invitation around, yeah. Hmm. It seems like the, um, do you want to talk more about that? About no, 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 that's it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it seems like the written thing is big. Like your mom used to write a letter yeah. if it was if there was a concern or if something was happening or if it wasn't like she'd call you. I never got a letter only once. The, the, uh, never letter. Only. I only the but letter. it was a positive letter. Oh. Because my one daughter became pregnant out of wedlock with a boyfriend mm -hmm. and she saw her pregnancy at Camp Dearborn. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. and my mother got back in the car and drove home not even speaking oh. and just went back home wow and uh I knew she would it didn't bother me it did not bother me because that's her standards yeah but maybe a week later 10 days I got a letter I'm so proud of you you were the best mom I'm sorry I did that I mean it was all very positive mm. very positive wow mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah so, so I've never gotten any other letters. I've never gotten a letter like that. <laughs> uh, I don't think I did either. No, it's a very positive letter. Yeah. I yeah. almost want to say out of character. Like very much so. She was looking her yeah. needs with me. She knew me. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it was. Is, um, so the question is, did you call her for the 10 all. years before? No, 10 days I never before. addressed her. I didn't say yeah. anything to her. She knew I got the letter. And she knew me. All the and letters. I actually, I didn't care because that's who I am. At that time, it's like, this is me. I don't care. I mean, you know, if uh -huh, she left, yeah. and I did not love her for that. I just knew that was who she was. So one of the letters was uh, uh, one piece bathing suit or a two piece bathing suit wasn't, was too, oh, too skimpy. skimpy. Not to me. But, you know, I mean, that's the kind of letter someone might get. Like, yes, that's what, that is what I had heard. I don't think I ever got a letter because I was perfect in every way <laughs> growing up, obviously. But I had heard that if there was some disapproval happening, you wouldn't, she wouldn't talk to you about it. She'd write a letter mm -hmm. or write a letter to someone close to you saying, mm-mm. Mm -mm. You're an <laughs> you know? parent of your kids. Yeah, like so yeah. that's really kind of nice to that hear. That's very nice. Mm -hmm. That it's not just disapproving letters that went right. out. It's also positive. Positive. Mm -hmm. Huh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you feeling jealous, Mom? <laughs> 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 she's racking her brain trying to. She's like, well, when did I, when would I have gotten a letter <laughs> like that? I'm thinking you'd have gotten that letter when you married a non Catholic. Oh. oh, I got letters. Before. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got letters. You know who got a letter that was more troubling um, for me to try and navigate was uh, she wrote to my mother-in-law. Oh. oh, interesting. Before you were married? Before we were married. Ooh. And inviting her to participate in communion, even though her son would not. Ah. Uh. Um, because she why because she was Catholic is she Catholic at all the mother oh he, Tom was baptized Catholic oh I see she was raised Catholic wait what was the letter she wrote to grant she wrote she wrote to Grandma uh, say saying come saying uh, you know Tom and Anna were we were welcoming you into our family you know or nice. your son into our family and we uh, I don't know whether she said we hope or we expect that you're going to be joining us in communion at the mass it's going to be held at such and so a place and I get a call from Tom's mom. Um, she said, she said, I got a letter from your mom. And I'm going, okay. And she said, I'm really uncomfortable. I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer it. And so I asked her what it was. And she said, um, now I didn't know grandma that well by then, you know, we weren't married, so I didn't know grandma. Your really future well. mother-in-law, mm -hmm. right? Um, she said, you know, our, our religious Orthodox, uh, 
Lithuanian way of practicing Catholicism is you don't go to communion unless you've gone to confession. And you don't go to confession every week like, like Roman Catholics do. We go to confession at certain times. Mm. And we will not have had that opportunity to go to confession before the wedding. And so I can't go to communion with mm. sins on my soul. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's your other side of your family, Chris. Wow. Be at, the, at, the, at the mass. So um, I thought, this is a conundrum. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was surprised. Mom never told me that she sent the letter. She should never have said, asked you mm-hmm. before she sent the letter. Pardon? She should have asked you before she sent the letter. That's a well, boundary I breach. wouldn't do that. I know, yeah. but I'm just saying. Yeah. Respect. And um, to be honest, I don't remember whether Grandma went to communion or didn't go to communion. I did say things to her like she's, you know, that she has the right on her own to do what she chose to do, that if she, we know that when we confess our sins, we're not confessing it to the person, we're confessing it really to God, and if she felt like she needed to go to confession, would she be comfortable going to a church and doing it that way? What was going to make her more comfortable? But you know, Grandma, Mm -hmm. she was an insecure. Very insecure. You know, didn't think much about her own beauty that she brought to the world and she was a very bright woman and had always a little bit depressed so she didn't have a lot of of ways to navigate that but she was intimidated you know she was intimidated Mm -hmm. by that letter and by mom so you were like the priest that told you it's really your choice that's what you did for her you're like well yeah, mm-hmm. and it's I really your choice. don't remember whether she did or didn't go. I don't remember the result of it. I just remember the letter. Uh, I got a letter one time when, uh, well, you guys used to say I was lying to mom because she'd call and say, what mass did you go to? Mm-hmm. Or was it Lori? And I'd say, do you know they have mass on Saturday here at 4? It would be Sunday. What mass did you go to today? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, you know, they have mass here on, on Saturdays at 4.30. My preferences would always be an afternoon mass. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, I'd never gone to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't either. I'd get off. The I never phone, went to church. And either Lori so or Chris would say, "Why did you lie I to her?" Cha- I never we lied. Did? I never lied, but I didn't talk about it. Yeah, I changed the subject. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you didn't yeah. say yes or no. Yeah. You don't want to lie. Don't want to lie. Subject, but yeah. also can't. So I never went to church. I stopped confessions the day. I don't go to. I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> But I act kind of, on Friday. It's Don't interesting do that as stuff. an adult that that pressure continued. Right. As an adult. A grown you know, adult at, with your adults, own children. We're parents. We have children. Yeah. Because that that pressure more. still continued via phone. We got walked talk and walked around it. We didn't confront it and say, you know what, Mom? I'm not practicing Catholicism yeah. right now. My choice right now is to do it in a spiritual way. I never did that with her. What? Um, why not? I don't know. Because she would get so... part Early on, I felt she really thought if I did that, I was going to go to hell. She'd get so nervous about me going to hell. Oh, so we wanted to make her happy. Her. She wasn't going to change. Make her happy. Really you know, to make she, her I mean, happy. Because she, she truly believed what she believed. Mm-hmm. And it was very challenging for her to, to, to move off that path. And to accept that somebody might be gay, to accept that, and and still be saved outside the church and and not go to heaven. Yeah. Did she think you wouldn't go to heaven if you married someone who didn't believe in God? Um, You'd raise your children because you did, and I mean, she must have been okay with it. She was at the wedding, right? She. Oh yeah, she was at the wedding. 
So I have a question. Uh-huh. I think you might ask these women what happened when they started their period. Let's do it. Menstruation. Are you open for that? Sure. Do you remember when happened. you started? <laughs> I got bigger questions myself than that. You just started and that was it. Now, granted, I didn't know any. Didn't know mom gave me a book. What book? I, you know, I never read. She gave you a book? Is that was a never spoke book with me. Never spoke with and you. I well, just threw it away. All of a sudden, it was blood. And it was like, and she gave me a pad. And that was, and uh, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? She gave you a pad? A pad to wear when I started bleeding. A diaper. Did I you have the pad. pad? What I'm saying is we I had, had a towel. Towel. Had a towel. Gave me the Hold towel. On. Just One a second. Gave okay. me the towel. Did you know what a period was no. before it happened? No. Did you think you were dying? No. Did you think you were sick? No. What instincts told you, oh, oh this I'm is normal? I'm okay. What are, and, and then she just gave me a towel with pins on it to pin it to your pants. And like I never was told anything. No Kotex. And never no Kotex. No preparation. A, a real towel. Didn't know how oh, long ta- I would do it. Literally it a towel. It. A diaper for me. A, mm-hmm. type, a diaper. Yeah. And then you washed them and wore them again. They were bulky. They left a big line on the back. You do. And a big That's line on the front because you were wearing a towel. You're wearing with a, a belt towel. To a secure. towel with a belt. No, no, no belt. No pinned. Pinned. No, pinned. Safety no belt. We didn't That's have right. belt. And you washed pinned it. Pinned to what, though? And it had a tab the, on the, each I pinned them in the front and the back. I pinned them to in the back. I pinned belt. I did not have a belt. What'd you pin it to? So nothing disposable. Oh, you're no disposables. No. No, Nothing no. disposable. No come one. home at lunch. Come home within an hour oh. or two. Everywhere you Shh. went, you had to come home and Go home change and that. Change it. And yeah. I remember being in seventh grade, walking up the stairs, and we wore blue skirts and white blouses because we were in a parochial school with a uniform. And it, this happened to be not a loose skirt, but a tight skirt. And I'm walking up the stairs, and a boy behind me says, what is that bump <laughs> on your back? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That you have on the back of your skirt. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> Did you know what a period was before you got it? I got the same book, Mary Jo Glott. It was a little book. But they gave it to you before you had your period. She, around the time, I guess. I don't know. I uh, think I, when I saw bleeding was when how she old gave were me the you? book. I was nine. Nine? Wow. That's early. Nine years old. Yeah. Real early. I was really young. How nine. old were you? I think I was 11. I think I was 10, maybe 11. We, we had early. But I, I got instructions. I'm younger than these two by a few years. But I, she said, I have to tell you this because you're going to camp. Oh. And so someone told me I needed to tell you that there might be something that happens to you while you're at camp. And she explained it. It was the first thing I knew of it. I had no idea, even though I had older sisters and a mother. I never thought she ever had a period. I had no sense. Do you ever Mm-mm. feel that Mm-mm. she ever had a period? Mm-hmm. You were, or sex either. Or sex. Other than having kids. <laughs> <laughs> or go in their bedroom. You know, mostly. Occasionally there'd be a ch- opportunity. But the reality is I had that conversation and on the day that I started, I came home really sick. And I didn't know why I was sick, cramps, uh-huh. but I just didn't know. And um, it was Anne, my sister, sitting here who told me, come on, I'll help you. Oh. And she gave me the towel Oh. and showed me how to, to fix it. And then a few years later, she showed me a pad. Okay. Not Tampex, but a, a, a Kotex. Kotex pad. And a mom never mentioned it again, or, or, and it was a secret from the men. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It was just life. Do you know what they have now that you can do is like a ceremony for a girl 
who mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. gotten her period mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. celebrate the traditions of their culture or they celebrate what it means to be a woman and the change of season in their life and it's like a a nourishing mother earth women who've come before you um women ritual be lovely Mm -hmm. to be honored for a time in your life that yeah it's huge Mm -hmm. symbolically Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. physically emotionally i mean Mm -hmm. it represents so much Mm-hmm. And to just pass over it feels dirty in a way. Yeah. And there's just a big opportunity missed, I think, mm-hmm. for girls to celebrate themselves in that way of becoming this next phase. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's a beautiful. Way it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So mm-hmm. when I hear that, I feel it's it's a little sad for me that it wasn't talked about at all uh, because it's such a sacred thing. I mean, this is how life gets. Mm-hmm. This is how we populate the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Girls getting their periods, you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. sideline I was just kind of thinking how rigid mom and dad were Mm -hmm. we didn't we knew they were in the same room in the bed but we never knew anything would happen so Eileen's got a story a short story about her John Hazley while he they were dating and they came home one day from the date in the evening evening and all of a sudden what happened go ahead the burning the house was burning down Uh Oh, and so John Heasley ran up the stairs to open the door of their knock on the door, knock on the door of mom and dad's bedroom. And John Heasley says, mom said, John Heasley, what are you doing up here in our bed? He says, the house is burning. I did not know that story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. He That's has funny. told that himself. He has told that himself. Yeah. Are we yeah. watching the time? It's 10.30. I have oh. a half hour left if your butts aren't too sore. No, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, How can we help you with some questions that you wouldn't? So you this can is perfect. Analyze. I think it's been perfect. I always... Um, I'm very curious about um, birth, if you remember any, if anything stands out. Well, I'll start out with the birth. uh, You just had, now remember, I'm a nurse, so I worked in the nursery. I worked in uh, postpartum. I worked in everything. So I do know in my expectations, and I understood it. From so, the looking okay. at the body, not the mind. So you had already seen birth, everything. Yes, helped with, delivered. Okay, all that. Mm-hmm. And 
I started my children when I was uh, 20, I got married 21, I was married, 22 started with the first child, and I just graduated from nursing and when I was 20. So I was very young when I started all this, so it's all fresh in my mind. So I really knew all the expectations. Mm. One of the expectations I had, and at that time, they always, when you got in there, because they wanted a clean birth, they gave you an enema when oh. you first started, when you came in. That was in those days to clean, to make sure the birth would be clean. I knowing that I didn't want an enema. Yeah. So what I did was gave uh, cleaned out myself at home. How do you do that? G- gave myself an enema at home. It's, as I started my cramps, and then I waited as long as I could so that I wouldn't have a problem when I got in. I had the children. I won't say soon, but enough where I wouldn't have to stay. You know, like twelve, twenty hours. I knew kind of when I should go in to have the children. So you labored at home. Yes. And you knew what was happening. Yes. Because you'd seen other women go through it. Right. And you're like, screw that. I'm doing this at home. Yeah. I'm going to get this enema here in my own bathroom. Yeah. That was where the routines. Yeah. And how did you know when it was time to go to the hospital? When I couldn't stand the pain anymore. And was there someone there with you? Like who? (laughs) The doctor. Were you just laboring by yourself? Barney, they didn't allow it then. Who was at home with you? At home with me, uh, we called Barney because I was, he was working, and I don't know, I just called him, I said, it's time to go in, and so he did, and they waited in the waiting room alone. So he came to pick you up from home? Yes. And then drove you to the hospital? Yes. And you- And stayed alone in the thing till I had the baby. I don't remember seeing my mom until I don't know when, maybe the next day or whatever, but we stayed five days. And um, it was okay. I didn't have a problem with it. Not at all. Were you awake when you had the baby? No, I had a spinal. I was awake, but I had a spinal. So I didn't feel it. So you were awake? Yes. Okay. So would a spinal be the same thing as an epidural? Yes. Okay. Because my mom was knocked out. No, I was not. I didn't want to be because I knew what, what, what you, I didn't want to be. I needed my epidural, you as knew, you call it now. Why didn't you want to be knocked out? I just knew what was going to go on, and I wanted to be there. You wanted to be awake? Because I was very comfortable with what was going on because I had done it myself did, with other people. Did the epidural work? Yes. And so what happened when they, now when they, as soon as the baby comes out, you probably already know this, they put it right on your chest. No, they didn't do that. They took it and put it in and gave it to whatever they need to, uh, you know, into a little crib, a little basket. Did you feel like you wanted to hold the baby no, right away? because a routine was, that's what you do. A routine is a routine. Okay. The baby's needs are more than your needs. But I didn't think about it. That's the, what they did. Okay. Because I used to do that. Yeah. And I was fine with it five days, and I don't think I had any problems at all, mentally or physically. Was a baby in the room with you? No, not in the room. It just was in the nursery, and that was it in the nursery. And But I knew all that, so I didn't have any expectations. Yeah. Do you know they do it, the things are very different now? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the skin-to-skin is really very healthy for all of those things would be but they didn't know that change from so many years that they should be and it's for the best how about you okay so i feel very cheery oh do you want to share you don't have to okay i want to share it brought back um hmm, that's my phone (laughs) 
That's okay. I should have turned it off then. It's fine. Okay. I um, I had a difficult time. Let's see. My son was born in 1973. I've first or second? John. Yeah, okay, first, one. first son. And um, I had a difficult, uh, say, seven years without children. But I chose to find a doctor who would give me natural childbirth, and I'd heard of it. It was very unusual. Oh, okay. And so I found the very best doctor I could, and I asked him for natural childbirth. And he said, you, he didn't say this to me, but I learned later I was probably one of the first ones to get natural childbirth in that hospital. Wow. But he was not encouraging, and it was I was not treated any other way. Just when you get there, you're not going to get... I went through training and, and childbirth training, but you're not going to get an anesthetic, and that's a huff of a way. So I really picked the wrong doctor. I, uh-huh. I know that now because then the, the new hospital to the north would have made a difference. Oh, uh, okay. So um, when I went in, I have uh, my son was going to be 10 pounds, 2 ounces, and um, he was turned. Uh, um, feet first. Uh, oh, breach. Uh, no, let me think. Upside down and everything. Quite a, difficult. Okay. Um, the time, Johnny, my husband and I were just talking about this because we have twins in our family that we just visited. Um, he could not find a doctor to help me. They left me a long time in a lot of pain, so I was screaming. Huh. The pain at the hospital. At the hospital, and yeah. his memory is running up and down the hall. Is anybody here? Is anybody here? Someone help my wife. Wow, I've never seen him do that. Yeah, so he is an upsetting experience. But um, let me think. As we went in, um, the doctor arbitrarily, without telling me, gave me ether. Oh, so I was prepared to have a natural childbirth. I woke up having a baby, but I also woke up to eight men staring at my vagina with my legs open, my baby gone, my legs open, everyone looking at the stitches they put in or something. Huh. Do you know what I mean? They were training. Yeah. Oh, but they didn't ask your permission. They did not ask my permission, or I didn't know I was under ether either. And I said, is something wrong? Is something wrong? There yeah, where's my wrong. baby where's also? My baby? Yeah. Where's my baby? So they brought John. I don't know how long I was um, unconscious. Do you know what I mean? Or following the birth. They have no memory of the birth. So then our, the next part of it was that they put me in a room separate from all the women and any other woman having a baby, and they said, we're, tr- we're letting you do this because you asked for it, but you can't go near the other babies, and you can't go near the other women who are having babies because you'll contaminate them, and that you are in the section now that you are with your baby in the room, but uh, good luck with that, and they kind of left me feeling outside of the group that was getting a lot more attention and there were people who like probably a little bit what I I hear when Mary Jo they knew their rules they knew that this is what they were going to do the baby was going to be all lined up in a row and people could look at them in the window and because I was um, doing this it was a little bit of a punishment yeah so when when John came in to talk to to see me he got yelled at all the time he took a sip of my milkshake and he he got in trouble for that he couldn't sit on the bed, and there wasn't any place for him to sit. So he had to stand next to me. What? And there were restricted visiting hours. So during the rest of the time, I did enjoy being in the room with my son. Yeah. I knew that if I had any more babies, that's what I would do, only I'd do it with a different doctor in a different hospital. And I did. I did do that. My second baby was 18 months later. But um, it turns out that I, t- I was torn 
from the way the birth was. Yeah. And so that's why they were examining me, and everybody was checking out how I, whatever that part of the birth was. Um, I was there in the hospital for seven days. On the first day that I was allowed out of bed, I fainted. Oh. And I absolutely collapsed holding onto the bed. So I did need that extra help from whatever part of it. Yeah. And then after seven days, I went home. But I don't think my husband and I ever talked about that except for to say, let's not go anywhere near that hospital again. Do you know what I mean? That yeah, was it's traumatic. Not the what we asked for, and they could have said no. The next baby, they had a special dinner for us to have, John and I, to celebrate the baby while we were still in the hospital. Wow. We had a candlelight dinner, and we went down. It was just fun. Do you know what I mean? We went through the birthing again for this hospital, the training. Training, mm-hmm. And it was just a different, John had a place to sit, and, and he was welcome as a family member, and this is a family here, and there were other mothers having their babies, and they're all with me. Yeah. So it was just a much, much different time. Were you awake for the second? Yes, and I did it completely natural. And yeah. do you remember how long the timing was with? Eight hours. Okay. Not short, not long. So but the first one, it was 20, 18, 18 hours in labor before I had. That is, un, I would say, unforgivable how they handled that first birth. I know. I felt that too. Really? I violated, mean, violated. If you're, um, and it was vaginal, it wasn't a C-section. It was vaginal. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Someone wants to get a hold of you. Um Did you find that there were any kind nurses that first experience, or were they just no. kind of like, you chose this, have fun, see That's you, right. you were leaving in seven days? Yes, or? and a little bit like we have the rules in place, it reminded me just of this, to protect you and the child. So we right. know that we are protecting the child, that they're in this unit and in this way, and you're trying to get us to change, but we're not ready for that change, but... You know what I mean? But they did offer it. I mean, they, they said it that they, they would. They told me they yeah. would. But uh, they weren't ready for it. That's all. What did they say about giving you ether when you said you didn't, like you didn't give word. them permission to no, do it? No, I was sort of like uh, we saw from the position of the baby, and that made sense in a way. I, I was ready. What are you ready for? Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just and a don't, big baby. I don't know how ether would help the baby come out. Like uh, a C-section, if the baby they was turned, me, that's the feeling I have that I'm cut all around. So they it, they needed to do uh, what do you call that when you is it an episiotomy where you yeah, need they to do cut? Do episiotomy. Yeah. So they, they wanted a, they did a full mine. They wanted you to be unconscious for that. Probably. Okay. They were they were aware they didn't need a CC, but they did need to maneuver me in a way that I had no... And there were Got used to mothers that were getting this other kind of anesthetic where they could do that kind of thing without her hurting. Yeah, but they have to get consent. But I did not remember hurting. I remember pain birthing, and then once they put me in uh, uh, to have that birth, that, that time seemed short to me. So I personally believe they gave me that either early. Hmm. You know what I mean? And they left me alone all afternoon for some reason to, to you know, watch me dilate. It really sounded yeah. like they were angry that you made that choice. It did. Yeah. It 
Yes. They were not willing to participate. And so they're going to, I do think that. It sounds exactly like that. And it felt very much like a a man's uh, world. That uh, not a sympathetic woman who said, you're about to have a baby. Did you choose a female doctor the next time? I can't remember my second doctor, no. I don't know that there existed a female doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, mostly male OBGYN. But I chose this birthing center that was not alternative. It was a hospital that said, we're going to have you know, babies born in a gentle way here. We're mm-hmm. setting that up for you. I'm glad they had that. That was early 70s, late 70s? Yeah. 75 for the second time. I mm-hmm. mean, that's pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think maybe that was during the time where Lamaze was I had Lamaze. sort of mm-hmm. just beginning Lamaze. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like it was starting to mm-hmm. become more mainstream and women mm-hmm. were starting to say, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think I like mm-hmm. option A <laughs> where mm-hmm. I get no rights. Mm-hmm. How about we start paying attention to what I want in this birth and yeah. and because it is such a I'm finding that talking to women who feel mistreated during their birth has such long lasting repercussions mm-hmm. after the po- during the postpartum period mm-hmm. but also just into their life and mm-hmm. being able to trust their bodies being able to trust people. other people people being yeah. able to trust the medical community mm-hmm. being able yeah. to trust certainly I wanted that time with Johnny to bring him to my skin, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. I don't know how much time went on between the time of my mm-hmm. birth. But I i wouldn't, um, it took a long time for Johnny to bond with me. And I think that's part of it. I really do. Mm-hmm. And then lucky, that's all changing. Growing up, changing. It's changing so much. Not for them, but for my son and me too. Oh, you know that's what I mean? really so, nice. Yeah, it is really nice. And it's not something... That um, certainly, like you say, mastermind, I visualize that this is the relationship we have. Ah. But it can't be made to happen. It has to be built on trust. Yeah. And that's now happening, so I'm really pleased. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder about that. I've talked about it with my therapist a little bit about um, because they're finding that when the baby comes out, it's if the baby comes skin to skin right away, they will find their way to the breast and start nursing within like an hour or two. Mm -hmm. And that skin to skin then releases all the feel good hormones, the oxytocin and the, um, it's a loop between Mm -hmm. the mom and the baby that it Mm -hmm. just bonds right away. I know I was not on your chest right mm-hmm. away. Just They just didn't do it. They, didn't mm-hmm. do they just it. didn't do they, it. They just didn't do no. it in those days. But that's one of the things, because my therapist, some of the work that we do goes back to when you were an infant or when you were a toddler. or So some of it is before you are even verbal, before you can even have a thought of what it's like to be in the world, the bonding comes first. And if it's not there, is there some component then that traces through your life where you might feel unloved or you might feel like you want a connection somehow, but it's not there? And or just like a shadow of that because of those first missed hours Mm -hmm. where any other mammal would be with their mom Mm -hmm. immediately after birth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
it's just been interesting to kind of explore that a little bit. And I do think the bonds can be rebuilt and you can. Mm-hmm. I definitely think they can be rebuilt, but you yeah. have to know how and go slow. Yeah. You know, but it will. Yeah. And you've got to see their needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And understand it's not your needs, but you need to, you know what I mean? Yeah. To work with them but about their needs and allow it to happen. And every child is going to be different. So you don't know yeah. from one child to another. And I imagine for the hospitals, too, it's been, it has to have been to go from you come in, we're going to give you medicine to knock you out. We'll get this done. Oh, we'll get the enema so we don't have to clean up the mess. We'll mm-hmm. get it done. Baby goes, it's very um, programmed. Programmed. Mm-hmm. And now it's really a lot of waiting letting the woman labor, whatever that looks like for her, walking up and down the halls. Um, a lot of women don't want to be attached to a monitor, mm-hmm. but often when you're in the hospital, you need to be, or you need an IV because you have strep or the... Um, fluids, maybe. The fluids, but also there's like a bacteria mm-hmm. that they're trying to clean That's out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there has to be... Because birth is not a streamlined, first X happens, then Y happens, then Z happens. It's fluid. It You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know what the process is going to look like. Every woman's process is different. You don't know how long she'll be pushing. There's so many unknown factors. And if she doesn't feel safe, everything slows down. Labor can stop because she doesn't feel like she's in a you know, a safe place. So it, the hospital really has to be so flexible and the nurses have to be patient. And to have that amount of time and flexibility where no one's coming in saying, uh, have you had the baby yet? It's been 10 hours or, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I want to applaud the hospitals that are doing that. Right. Because it does take, it's a totally different model. Mm -hmm. It's a different model, and it also takes the power and control, puts it where it belongs, which is with the mother who's birthing the child. And I think for systems, it's hard sometimes to give up that. The power, You know, for efficiency, Mm -hmm. the power and control is hard to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also... To be better prepared for the yeses and the noes you're going to have. This could happen or that, but you've got to swing to it yourself, whatever. It is. There might be a lot of babies there going to be born at the same time. Yeah. And they don't have mm-hmm. the staff for all those babies. Uh, so a nurse might come in or out, or your husband might not be there, or your significant other, whoever's there. Mm-hmm. You might have, so you have to kind of have plan A, plan B, so that you're relaxed with whatever happens. It's okay. That's part of life. It isn't you. Yeah. You have to be more, that's why I like to prepare people in the positive side. Yeah. Not negative. These are all positive things that you're looking at. And mm-hmm. I, when I hear people, but what if, and there's no buts, there's no what ifs. These things are life and can happen, mm-hmm. but make them positive and it'll come out positive. And I think a positive too, I liked birthing at the hospital. I feel like even though I didn't like the IV and I didn't like some of the other aspects of it, I wanted to know if there was an emergency, I wouldn't have to transport anywhere. And um, just... What does that mean if you had an emergency transport? If I needed, 
like I have some friends who um their birth came so quickly mm-hmm. that it was like two hours. Sure. And then they're done. Sure. I did not want to have that kind of experience without knowing if something went wrong, I could immediately get help. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay. As opposed to driving to the hospital. Okay. Like if I was birthing at home. Sure. Mm-hmm. And something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Which it, I'm not saying that that happens frequently, but for my peace of mind, I wanted to be at the hospital. Sure. And I was happy to be there. Mm-hmm. I didn't like some of the monitoring that happened. I felt like, just leave me alone. My body knows what it's doing. I don't want to be hooked up to all this stuff. But that was the rule for being there. And um, I've, now I forgot where I was going with that. I think I just was saying that there to have experts there... To be able to advise you if you need advice is quite wonderful also. So if someone need, if it gets to the point where they, you, for your health and the baby's health, you need to have a Mm C-section. To be able to have someone there to say that, that can also be conscious of the fact that that's not your first choice. Mm -hmm. And my friend last week or two weeks ago said to be conscious of the fact that a c-section is a birth and not to treat it like a surgery but to treat it like Mm -hmm. a birth and so if you do have to change a plan quickly to have it's all about the people in the room and and I happen to have wonderful nurses and it made all the difference in the world because they were coming to me from their hearts and they were all supportive for the most part there was there's always like one where you're like get her out of here right now but for the most part well how can you change that for future for people who are having their first babies change what change whatever do you get somebody that you know to be with you to be your mentor your husband will be there or your significant other or nobody Husbands uh, are fine to have I don't, in the room, but I don't, they're not going to... I'm not talking about husbands. I'm just saying they <laughs> might be in the room. Michelle did that for me for her first baby. She said, I know Frank's going to be there. Yeah. Frank's going to be there, husband. Uh, but, Mom, I want you. You yeah. know the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. I won't. I know the ins and outs. She's a nurse. She's been through all that. She says, but I want you to fortify as I go along why this is happening. Uh-huh. So I did this and then frank would be there and i would stay in the corner when i know i wasn't needed ah you are but good then at I, that and then yeah. i moved forward when i knew it was needed and mm-hmm. he was you know what i mean this is how mm-hmm. that was only the first baby after that she was comfortable it was her first time first time for everybody is really what are they gonna do what you know what i mean yeah. you're through it in that first time you know what to do so I uh, actually wasn't there for the second and third babies. It was that yeah. first one. It was most difficult, just like her yeah. natural child, both 10 pounds, 6 ounces, Stephanie was. And oh, that's big baby. No C-section. She had to do it. She was in there 24 hours. They gave her pet. They gave her everything. They did the swaying in the water and all that. And she's a nurse. She kind of knows all that, but she's not a nurse. Once you're there, yeah. you're not a nurse anymore. No. You're not nothing. 
So I helped her through that, listened to her, gave her the encouragement, listened to the doctors, yeah. da, 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 da. and Frank just kind of had the eyes of, you know, I'm here. He was there. <laughs> and she knew that. Yeah. She knew that. She said, I need you when I said, my phone is there ready. And we, and you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just thinking, if it wasn't me, do they need somebody else that can help you, mm-hmm. coach you? Because you, you can't think anymore. So we hired a doula. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of a doula? Oh, yes. So the doulas, I had a doula for each birth, a different doula for each birth, and they all operated differently, but we would meet before the actual birth to talk about what we're hoping will happen, the kind of birth I'd like to have, and then as soon as you go, as soon as I went into labor, call the, call the doula, I think I'm in labor, and with the first... I'm not sure I'm in labor. I think I might be. I'm not really sure what's happening. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, and then they come to the hospital with you and they're in the room. And Did they, she help you to understand or be part of? I had varying experiences and degrees of help at each of the births. And so I have, um, I would say yes. Every Each person I had gave their 100%. Uh, in helping in the way that they helped. I may have needed different things than what they were offering at certain times, but that's not their fault. But what I found most helpful was they presented options. Part of it was, um, do you want to try the birthing ball? Oh, it looks like maybe if we get up and walk around. Like, now's the time would be when you want to consider getting an epidural or to sort of guide you a little bit, show you where the landmarks are of, oh, this is generally, you know, you're at seven seven centimeters, so not too much further to go. Let's see if we can keep things moving along. If you want to get an epidural, now would be the time. Like that kind mm-hmm. of thing I found extremely helpful. What didn't you like? What, what did you need? Especially I, with the first one. I needed eye contact and like someone to really intensely connect with me and tell me that I was going to get through it. I needed like a really intense personal connection. Um, And I had more of a holding space, like in the back of the room, kind of, I'm here if you need me, you can do this. But I needed someone to get right up in there and just... Mm -hmm. And you're using that part that you understood about yourself to help other women that you need to have somebody strong in front of your face because that's actually what you need. <laughs> well, some, some women don't like that. That's what I needed, but I didn't know what I needed. I think yeah. most people need that. It's like you are going to make it. Okay. What I, it's not going to be you are going to make it. The strong positive coming from one person to another yes. gives them that fortification. I know they're going to yes. make it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And therefore, that negative thought or that kind right. of leaves you. Mm-hmm. When you're you can even get slapped that person. Get out of my face, but I'm telling you. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear that. That's interesting because I know some people want many women in the room when they're giving birth. I felt more like I think having a lot of people would make me very stressed out. I don't want my mom there. I don't want my sister there. I do want my husband there, and I want my doula there, and that's it. The Also, I did not have an OB-GYN. I had midwives. 
and their tone and their approach was very woman centered like very different from what would you tell people who didn't have this extra person in your life mm-hmm. to go through this with them because you were special and knew how to do it you mean I, well I would always recommend you have someone there who has been to birthing someone there who's been to births before and a strong person positive someone who's going to stay calm someone who's okay with communicating with the nurses and doctors mm-hmm. to kind of go be the go-between if you need them to be mm-hmm. and someone who's at least got some intuition going for them so they can tune into what you need mm-hmm. and um i think it's i think it's essential mm-hmm. it should be there for every birth even though it might not be i think it, it ideally would Those are be good things. Very some good. empathy intuition intuition empathy yeah to just and i think that the people who are birth attendants and that's their job, the doulas and the midwives, mm-hmm. they just have it for them. I think mm-hmm. most of them have it. They just have that sense of what does this woman need in this moment? Not all of them do. And everyone has a bad day too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some So was your second one better than the first one? Um, my second was amazing. The, the, I, I hate to say, I, I don't want to say, the fir- the all of my doulas gave 100%. That's what I want to say. Yeah. The second birth that I had, my doula gave me every single thing I needed when I needed it. And she just did. And she was in tune with me, and um, mm-hmm. it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I did get an epidural. I had My first, I did not have an epidural, and the other two I did. So... I felt supported, and it was more the pain of the first birth that was traumatic more than anything else because I was having back labor. So I didn't have steady contractions that came and went where it was like a wave of here it comes, and now Mm -hmm. you can rest. Now here it comes, and now you can rest. I did not have that. It was just this big wall of pain, and all I was thinking was, in the childbirth class that we went to, she said it would be like waves. <laughs> <laughs> and you would work really hard and then you would yeah. rest. What and work really hard and then you would rest. You have to learn by doing. Like, long time ago, you're having marriage counseling by the priest. I mean, what the hell? The priest, he's not married to somebody else. You have to go through you go it. You go through it. To understand mm-hmm. it and know how. You're not going to be always that mm-hmm. typical way. Yeah. No. No, no, but I didn't know that. Well, I mean, if I tell people now <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, I was tra- I was traumatized by the pain. I thought I was gonna die be- mm-hmm. from the pain mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And so it took me weeks to kind of recover mentally from mm-hmm. that, and then years to sure. recover sure. <laughs> from mm-hmm. that. And I think with Eileen, with what she just went through and feeling it again, look how long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Still, it yeah. hasn't gone. Yeah. 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 So it has still feels things. Yeah. So that's the other half of this is kind of like what we were talking about with periods and the ritual of this is big. This is a transformation for your body, your mind, your emotions. You're becoming a different version of yourself. Mm-hmm. To have that for women who have given birth 
is also like a big thing I'm I'm pushing right now because but what if the positive endorphins don't come through at that time because your hormones are crazy how do you address that I mean more to understand that birth is not just a physical process it's a spiritual process and it's a process and it's not like one day you're pregnant the next day you have a baby and then you move on with your life it's like no you're transforming this was transformative the the day you give birth is transformative but then you're a mother and a mother is someone entirely new than who you were before and so being able to talk with other women to get support if you need it to have people who are checking in with you and bringing you food and holding your baby so you can take a nap and sort of having a community or a village and the right care providers who are there to nourish you because in some I mean our culture is kind of weird how we handle birth afterwards in some cultures you rest for weeks in bed and besides that how do you address negative hormones that you don't figure are coming and all of a sudden you're wondering why you're not happy having that baby that is having the right care provider to recognize postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and say totally normal we can help you through this do you need medication do you need more support what what do you need and do you address that beforehand that that's a possibility that could happen after rather Mm -hmm. than so they're prepared because it's like i can't tell anybody ideally happy right my midwives were very good about that i had a lot of education and i I knew that postpartum depression and anxiety were very common, and I certainly had some after each, particularly after the first and third, more anxiety than depression, but mm-hmm. um, having the right care provider, someone but who will really you, listen. But you're going to be teaching or addressing this to a, an audience, maybe. I'll say that. I mean, if you didn't have a care provider, yeah. say so you're, a lot of people don't have a care provider how do you adjust that to them then or get that over to them how do you reach people to let them know that it's normal yes if they don't have a doctor telling them it's normal yes community you know and your own way that you're learning that's what i mean yeah what do you somehow it needs to be addressed you're addressing all the positive things that i'm seeing yeah but you have to look at some things that are very unknown i know when now i'm a nurse now I'm seeing how they're born, but nobody addressed to me that you could, the horm- well, why aren't I happy having this baby? Yeah. Everybody's happy, but I just don't feel happy. Yeah. The feeling wasn't there. I had depression also. Yeah. It's like, or anxiety. It's like, and it wasn't how am I going to take care of them. I kind of knew, or you read a book or something, I wasn't anxious. But why? Why am I different? I never talked to anybody about it. Now, that's 100 years ago when I had the baby, but that wasn't addressed, so I thought I was odd. How did you figure it out? I just worked it through not talking to anybody because I thought it was odd and different. And who I, so I just uh, worked every day. When I'm saying did every day, you did everything you're supposed to do every day. Yeah. And eventually it just weaned off. It just weaned off. So you just kind of accepted, yes. I'm going through something, but something I don't know what don't it know, is. But I better take care of this baby and keep on going. No one else is talking about Nobody. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, it was 100 years ago. Well, you had the same kind of experience. Mm-hmm. She said she was, do you want to, no, she ahead. was having a moment when she was rocking Lori 
and just being like, I love being a mom. I love being a mom. Yeah. I love being a mom. <laughs> That's what I mean. Kind of a yeah, frantic. There's no feelings. It's bland. No. Yeah. And there's it's no. Bland. It's like, it's, but I don't feel it, but tell myself that. Tell mm-hmm. myself that. Mm-hmm. And I think that then made you, based on your story, uh, seek out social groups. Right. Because sitting here rocking this baby, <laughs> pretending like I'm okay <laughs> is not working. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So for you, it was building connections right. outside of the house, right. getting out of the house, right. having a schedule. Um, I know Tuesdays and Thursdays I'm going to be meeting with this group to kind of get the ball rolling to snap out of a little bit. But sometimes you can't do – sometimes but you need to me, no, more. You're telling me the basic things about having a baby and how women are women and we're, we're all together and helping each other. You know, women. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, one of the biggest things is the after of it is the depression or anxiety or what that you don't expect. Yeah. So how do you get through that? Because I think having a baby is one – they say is wonderful, but then all of a sudden it's like, wait it's a minute, not, I don't have yeah. that feeling that they're telling me about. You know what I mean? So you, yeah, I think. I think addressing people who don't feel, because usually people, usually, I guess, feel a baby. Did you think it was wonderful to holding Johnny? Yes. See, I didn't. It was like, it was not, it was like, okay, there's, there, there, you know well, what I mean? It was scary. So <laughs> what they teach now is that the bonding does not happen right away for everyone. You don't get that what fuzzy is the feeling. feeling of bonding? That warm, fuzzy, look at my baby. I am okay. so in mm-hmm. love. Okay. And sometimes it doesn't come the day you give birth. It doesn't come the week after you give birth. I know that. It doesn't come I know six that. months after. I know that. So How do you work that through then? Because you, you feel like a negative person like everybody else feels. Why am I abnormal? Um, therapy. Oh, therapy. <laughs> yeah. Now, remember, I didn't go. I, I, I <laughs> myself. In those days, yeah. again, to have myself. To have someone say, you're normal. This, every, it's, every woman has a different experience. But still, you, the person has to acknowledge it. A lot of times, women won't acknowledge it either. They don't know that they're in it sometimes, That's too. what I mean. Yeah. So you have to kind of t- t- talk about it beforehand to me when yeah. you're trying to getting all this information to, to the person. All the information, how giving birth and all that yeah. physical things, yeah. this could happen or that, or you could have a C-section or yeah. not, or depending on all that. But the after ones, I don't know that they kind of address it enough to make you feel you are okay, you are, you know what I mean? This well, they like, certainly didn't address it enough in the 70s. I about mean, yourself when you all. had the babies. Yeah. Did they no, they were pre- like, oh, your baby's here. Get out of here, mama. No. How did <laughs> no. you know you <laughs> were okay? How did you know with anxiety or the depression was okay? Or did you know you were going to get it? No. You. No. You, I mean, you. me? Yeah, I think she's saying that that certainly in birthing children in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. No, I'm saying now I'm strictly going how with us I, in those I days. Had, I was well-educated beforehand because I had the midwives. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of um, previous work with anxiety and depression, so I knew what it felt like and I knew what it looked like. Now, can I ask you, are you the average person that's going to have a baby? No. 
Well, I'm above average in all things, <laughs> as we know. Well, I'm trying to say, let's get back to average. We're talking average now. Come on. Not just I wanted baby. you to say that. You know that. No, I'm not giving this address to you. I'm just saying you're above average. I know you are. So what, you're talking now with average people. They get what I mean? you got to get back to the bit. They don't have this extra person in there. They don't know all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, here's what. They, you listen to podcasts like this. You talk to other women. And hopefully you have a good doctor. I don't want to talk to other people. I'm having a baby. Read a book. I don't read. <laughs> she knows I don't read. She's always giving me books. I don't read. You might see um, Grey's Anatomy, and they do a story about postpartum depression. I mean, culturally, it's becoming more a part it's of It's more mainstream the now. Fabric. I'm just wondering, because I've been with working in Detroit – they don't know nothing. They don't. They don't. You teach from the bottom line up. I, I'm being the devil's advocate now. Yeah, yeah. Where there's an average people. We're in a higher class area. We're in a higher class learning process. We're a lot of, lot, you know what I mean? you got to get down to the basics of these are things that so they understand a little bit more. You know what I mean? There, I think there are prenatal classes now. I am curious. They don't go to them. <gasps> oh, my gosh. They haven't got you a guys, car to go to them. It's 1120. I'm supposed oh, to be no, picking up quiet be, right oh, now. I was wondering about that. Right, let's go. We can do go. this. We can let ourselves out. Go. Thank go. you. Go. 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 Call the school and let them know you're coming. Or call the office.